Welcome to the Pocket Realm, a Mortal Realms short story phase. Uh, grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gates this episode are Davey. How's it going? And myself, Aaron. Um, and I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I am looking forward to trying this uh, trying this new idea out. So. Me too. I am so nervous. Uh, <laughs> Not that nervous, a little nervous, because I mean I'm in such great company, and I don't want to let you down. It's, it's uh, hard to distinguish between the nervous energy and the caffeine energy. <laughs> that's it's very true. Um, they go hand in hand. Uh, in fact, that's why I that's why I drink it. Um, so hey everybody, uh, we've got some, we got a little, a little something different, a little something new that we're experimenting with today, um, mortals. We heard you loud and clear. Uh, we heard that you wanted more mortal realms. You want more story phase. And you want less Aaron. And uh, lucky for you, uh, two out of three ain't bad. Um, so what we're trying to do is we try to come up with a way to deliver on that without creating too much of a drain on our personal lives. Um, like, how could we squeeze a little bit more out of these mics that we've got? I think Davey's got a new one. Uh, he's got to put it to use. Yeah. Um, so we're trying this. Um, so what if we covered the Black Library Age of Sigmar short stories in a similar fashion as the story phase? It's something that we're, that's already in our wheelhouse, stuff that we're already reading, so we figured we could share it with you, the listeners. Um, and so if you're a patron and you're hearing this, you're probably listening to it on our Patreon-only audio feed, which is awesome. That's very cool of you. And if you're listening to this on the main Mortal Realms channel... I can't predict the future, but my guess is that we've packaged a few of these shorter episodes and released them as a single anthology bonus episode uh, a few months down the road, which is our intention. Also, let us know how cool the future is. Oh, please. Uh, are our car cars flying by then? I mean, they have to be. I feel like sure. we're on the cusp. Um, but that, that is our intention. Hopefully, well, not hopefully, the idea is that everyone's going to be able to hear this and subsequent uh, pocket cast episodes eventually. And so what we're doing today, right now, is that we've got Davey and myself, and we're going to talk about Heart of the Fallen uh, by Sarah Cockwell. Um, but you know what? Maybe in the future we'll swap folks in and out. Uh, maybe we'll invite a few guests along the way, but we're going to sort of figure it out as we go along. Uh, it's very exciting and, I guess, a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> a smidge. Davey, any other thoughts? No, is that about I, right? I think that sounds, uh, that sounds like the vision that you had that we're going to now execute flawlessly with precision and accuracy grace and aplomb uh all of the above um so this is a, a story phase so let's let's jump right into it <laughs> in the story phase we delve into the stories characters creatures and environments of the nine realms the story that we're covering today many are the perils of the bloodwind spoil and great are the rewards for those who can hunt and bring down one of the great chaos touched beasts of that infernal land for dire open skies and fleetfoot a trio of youths Seeking to make their names among the untamed beasts, the hunt is on, but not all of them will return to their tribe unscathed, and only one can truly claim the glory of the kill. Dibs, me. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, so you gotta be quick. It, it turns out it's actually kind of easy in the Bloodwind Spoil. You just gotta call Dibs. <laughs> uh, the rules of Dibs are unflinching. Um, all right, also, first of all, good job, David. Second of all, uh, we're maybe we're gonna mirror what we normally do for our story phase, and... Maybe try a spoiler-free section. However, they are short stories, so it'll probably be really quick. Um, but let's first talk about uh, why we are reading this. Um, I don't know if you guys listened to our last uh, story phase episode of The Mortal Realms, where we talked about the Warcry anthology, chock-full 
of war cry short stories from a wide range of different authors. Um, but what better way to follow that up than with another war cry short story? If you if you didn't get enough of it before, uh, here we'll give you a little uh, a little dessert, a yeah. little uh, a little taste at the end. I think so. It feels like the Venn diagram of people who haven't listened to the main anthology cover but are listening to this has got to be quite the tiny sliver. So yeah, and uh, I mean whoever you are. I'm, I'm raising an eyebrow at you. What are you, what are you doing? How are you spending your time? Get on board. Um, so I guess I suppose when facing down the barrel of a three-hour three episode <laughs> versus a, a much shorter both, episode, yeah, it's I, tough I, to say. Um, <laughs> in which case, I take back what I said, listener. Uh, you're cool. You you prioritize your time efficiently, and I respect that. Um, but uh, we like the Warcry anthology so much, we figured uh, we just keep that train rolling and read on um, to this short story as well. Plus, we liked Sarah's uh, Proving Grounds, the Corvus Cabal short story enough that we had to check this one out as well. Um, so, all right, let's start with some facts. Uh, when does this story take place? Well, if you listened to our last episode, you you heard us say that, who knows, really, right? Um, this is, I think Paul referenced a term of like the perpetual now, which is to say it doesn't necessarily line up with any timeline that matters. Um we can maybe assume that it happened after the Necroquake because we, if the timeline that's you know, we're seeing in the Warcry game is based off of you know the the Night Haunt rolling up and uh, you know showing their faces or ghost faces in the Bloodwind spoils, so maybe you can pinpoint that a little bit after the Necroquake. But honestly, the timeline doesn't super matter uh, for this particular story. Right. I mean, it doesn't super matter for us, and part of that's because it doesn't matter for the characters. They are living in the now, right? They they don't have this great sense of uh, history, or some of them don't. We've seen other war bands that that do have an idea that they came from somewhere. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, and furthermore, like we sort of talk about um, when we read the Shadespire novel, like time can sometimes work weird here, anyway. So even if we sure. didn't know generally when it was, it would be hard to guarantee that it happened in any given sort of time frame. So uh, time is a is an odd fickle mistress in the Bloodwind Spoils. Oh, hey, speaking of where, let's talk about where that is. So we're back in the Bloodwind Spoils again, mm-hmm. um, which is the main sort of space ground geographically that we that we know about in the eight points, at least as it pertains to, to Warcry. There's plenty of other areas that are left unexplored at this point, but um, as of right now, Bloodwind Spoils is where we're, we're spending all our, our Warcry time. Um, for uh, this particular story, we're we, we follow our characters out basically on the wastes on sort of the, the wild places of, of the Bloodwind spoils. Like we've talked, we have mentioned that there are different cities and outposts and things like that, but we're, we're nowhere near them. Um, we are uh, again in, in sort of untamed uh, unclaimed territory, which I think, I think sort of contributes to the story that we're, that we're reading. Uh, let's take a look at the who um, some folks that we've never met before. So uh, as Davey mentioned in the, uh, the, the, the story blurb, um, we are following a, a number of untamed beasts. Uh, so that's the, um, the war band that, it, that originally hails from Gur, but they are the wild sort of feral bestial war band that exists in, in, in the Warcry universe or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, so we do follow a, an individual characters. Uh, there's a couple point of view. So an individual character named sharp tongue who is on the hunt that they sort of reference in that, in that story blurb. And then we're also following a group of kids who are on his trail, on the hunt trail, uh, however you want to define it. We sort of find out more in the story, but we do get those differing perspectives um, between the, the individual and, and the group who are yeah. all uh, chasing something down, what, whatever it ends up being. Your classic coming-of-age story in a nightmare hellscape. Sure. Well, I mean, 
I know that. <laughs> Middle school. Through and through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it, it really resonates, really resonates with me, um, having to hunt down uh, bestial bird creatures to survive, to earn my, earn my keep in, in high school. Um, but uh, what do we, I guess, what do we know about these folks? Just the fact that they're part of the untamed beasts. Uh, they, they pride themselves on their, I don't know, their hunting prowess, which is, you know, contributes greatly to this story, to their strength, to their speed. Um, they do what they do in sort of service of the great devourer, which is their version of, of God out there on the Bloodwind spoils. And so um, you better believe that these folks are, even though their kids are at least relatively equipped to survive um, out there. And it makes it for an interesting story. David, what do you think about our, our characters here? What do we know about them? They're all, you know, e- even in the context of Warcry, where, uh, where the war bands are made up of, individuals who are even their leaders are, are just kind of pretty small scale on the uh, age of Sigmar battlefield. These are, these are small scale within that small scale. So we're talking planes runners. Um, it, it, it seems like, uh, so we, we don't even have like uh, the, the big movers and shakers of this particular, of this particular uh, war band of untamed beasts. And that, I, that's one way to learn more is like, here's, here's what it looks like. Here's this perspective from the bottom looking up. So uh, that was kind of a, a good take on how to go about it. Yeah. I think um, in the anthology, we saw a lot of top from the top down sort of perspectives. Um, and we didn't get as many though. I think there were a couple um, from the bottom up and uh, this is a, a, a great uh, example of learning quite a bit from through the viewpoint of those folks who aren't you know the the leaders of their their war band or maybe you know one day aspire to be so that's super interesting um as far as the what goes we did talk about that story blur but um i mentioned we do get these differing perspectives from these two groups uh it, it's a hunt story a chase story but um we, we get sort of different time lapses or, or we're jumping from different perspectives of, of very similar settings, which is uh, ends up being pretty cool. Um, and it sort of keeps you engaged. And I think it makes for a very good story. And uh, we can sort of learn with the characters as they, as they go along. Um, but we won't get too much into the spoilers quite yet. Uh, is there any other facts or figures you want to talk about as it relates to the heart of the fallen? Yeah. Just like we talked about with the, it being set in the Bloodwind spoils, you you could consider you can consider that as a uh, a fifth character here because that that plays in a lot. So we, we get to we get to experience the Bloodwind spoils pretty viscerally in a, in a number of ways. Sure, and I think that makes for an interesting story, which is my mini review. But um, we can maybe just jump jump headfirst into uh, our fo- full spoiler coverage with our spoiler phase. Dun dun dun. So one of the luxuries of being able to talk about these short stories is that they go real quick, and so we can we can get through the plot uh, efficiently and effectively, and we can get to the inter- interesting, juicy bits later on. Um, so uh, I mentioned that we've got our two perspectives, and the book starts off with the perspective of that um, sharp tongue. And so he is, I don't know, maybe a plains runner? I can't remember exactly what they say, but he is not in quite yeah, a position of power yet, though he mm-hmm. aspires to be. And to do so, he, he wants to gain glory and you know recognition by chasing down a, a, an unnamed beast at this point, um, which he calls meat, which was endearing to me. Yeah, I, I marked that as well. I thought it was, uh, I, I thought it was cool to think that you know you're either the hunter or you're the meat, and that's 
that's how it goes. Yep. So. Or sometimes both, but you may sure. not know it. Um, and so he's, he's on, on the prowl and he's, and he's, he's spending a lot of time in his mind cause he doesn't have anyone else to talk to. Just like thinking about like, Oh, I, I can't wait until I catch this meat. It's an inevitability. And when I bring it back, I'm due to, you know, I'm due to for great things. And then I'm going to great, get great, mm-hmm. great accolades. Um, though he, I think, he doesn't know words like that. I think, uh, Sarah Cockwell does a good job of, of establishing that by you, you don't even get his name right away from his perspective, which makes sense because you don't think, you know, you, you don't think in the third person when you're, so when it's, Danny, what do you it, think I'm going to say? What do you think I'm going to say to that? Uh, that I do. always think yeah, of the yeah, third yeah, yeah. person. <laughs> Aaron's the best. So, it, you know, it starts out, it's from a, it's from a mystery narrator, which we, which we, you know, pretty, pretty quickly kind of piece together who he is. Um, from from that but I, I think it's a good little bit of storytelling it, it's a it's a small choice but it's an effective one yeah agreed um and so once we've got a little taste of that that character we do jump over to the the second group of perspectives and so we've got um anari fleetfoot uh open skies which is anari's brother and uh dyer um who they at one point called brother but we find out soon thereafter that he's not actually related but rather um just a member of their close tribe uh and dyer is the brother of sharp tongue so we've got quite the uh, intermingled uh telenovela family relationships going on here um but the three of them anari open skies and dire are uh basically on sharp tongue's trail um so he's been gone for a bit um and they thought that they ought to go find him to put it to put it simply i, I can't remember was he gone for too long or what was their impetus to go go after him so i think it uh it's driven from dire he says uh, he would never, really op- never openly admit to such weakness, but he had concerns for his brother's safety. Yeah, So exactly. So um, because of that, uh, he sort of enlists Anari and Open Skies to help him go find them and so that they're on his trail. So uh, Dyer is actually a pretty good tracker, so that's how they're able to sort of keep up with him. Um, and that's what they do. So it, it's impressive... And they sort of reference that he doesn't want to show weakness, but like they acknowledge that, you know, the, the blood one spoils is a dangerous place. And um, they sort of hearken to like the pack mentality a little bit is, is what, sort of the impression I'm getting here. And they feel that they a, need to leave out as a group and maybe go give give him a hand. Um, so there's it's not as individualistic as maybe we've seen other groups in, in the blood one spoils or maybe even in the untamed beast even. So um, mm-hmm. that was a fun little, fun little perspective. Sure. All right, we hop back over to Sharp Tongue real quick. Um, he takes a few hours to rest. Very interesting storytelling. Um, really hot and heavy in this book. Um, but he he eats a rodent and he draws pictures in the dirt. What do you know? Uh, there's time to there's time to relax in the Bloodwind Spoils. I never would have guessed. Um, so there's just a little blurb again where he's spending more time and sort of thinking about you know his goals and aspirations and, and so on and so forth. Um, I joke, but I think it was a worthwhile little perspective that um, again fleshed out this character a little bit, and in doing so, fleshed out what we know um, for the the, the Untamed Beast Warband. Um, they're not just you know mindless killing hunting machines, even though that is a sort of his goal. But like he does have an internal monologue, and he does you know think towards the future, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, and it gives you here's a snapshot of what this happens, and then you you come upon as that as that team hunting him find something uh you you get part of the story each time and can kind of piece together what is actually happening yeah. um, which is kind of fun also uh of note is that uh sharp tongue sleeps just like aaron does uh tuck, tucking his body into the hollow of a desiccated tree well it's just that there's nowhere else my house is full of children there's nowhere else to go 
children in plastic sprues. Yeah, plastic sprues. Well, that's what I mean. I hollow out a tree of plastic sprues. I mean, you've seen it. I don't need to explain it to you. Um, so, but like you said, yeah, the trackers do find, they would cut back over to the trackers and they do find uh, Sharp Tongue's camp um, some, I don't know, some amount of time later. They find that uh, his, his fire is still you know, smoldering and that he left without finishing that rodent that he had caught. Um, and so they realized that, Oh, you know, they're on the, they're, they're close. They're on the, on the hunt. Um, and you're, as you read through this, you start, you, you've seen this like storytelling device before the back and forth and like someone does something and then you find, uh, you see the other perspective of how they sort of interpret what they found um, as they're on their trail. So um, it felt both familiar, but then also it was, it was an effective way to tell this story. I think um, I liked it. Uh, so they end up following his tracks because he's left the camp through, I think, a boulder maze, if I'm reading it correctly. Uh, and it like the boulders like reflected in such a way. So they were like weird, unnatural boulders or, you know, not the boulders that you and I are used to. And like, whew, we're used to some boulders. <sighs> so many um, boulders. Yeah, I wish there, I wish there were fewer boulders. Um, and it leads to a, a narrow cave um, where they find evidence of a, f- I was going to say firefight, but that doesn't make any sense. It's just a fight, just a regular vine fight, you know. <laughs> like in the olden days. Um, David, tell me about this this fight that uh, we then proceed to learn about. Like many things in GER, even the vegetation is predatory. Uh, we get a we get a glimpse from uh, Sharp Tongue's perspective that it uh, kind of wrestled, wrestled him. He ended up uh, dislocating his shoulder as he was getting pulled by these. And that was, he escaped by doing that, pulling so hard he dislocated his own shoulder and then slashed his way free. And then uh, reduced his own dislocation, uh, which uh, which was impressive. I don't know if they teach that in the Untamed Beasts or he just instinctively. Uh, I mean, he basically slams it until it, it is fixed, which is a real all or nothing way to, to fix things. But That's how I fix most things. Um, <laughs> did you say reduced his dislocated? Is that the term for fixing a dislocated thing? Yeah, you reduce a dislocation or something like that. So. Hey, listeners, you learned something or I learned something. Uh, and I'll assume you learned it too. Um, yep. So he, he, he's able to escape, uh, thank goodness. Cause we wouldn't have much of a story at that point if he didn't. Um, and so that the, the trackers, his, his, the rest of his war band find, like we said, he had found, found the evidence of this fight and they proceed deeper into this cave system where, uh, presumably Sh- sharp tongue has uh, escaped to as well. And so they're navigating these narrow, um, passageways and I don't want to call them hallways, but, uh, different, you know, branching cave paths um and they pass all sorts of crazy unnatural like blood wind spoil wonders um at one point they walk by like a living furred wall yeah uh, it's like breathing that they yeah. like, touch because why man why would you touch that i understand <laughs> furry stuff you know is adorable and cute but that's this is not the time or place well and i like that the one that spots that is like ah, i'm gonna pass on mentioning this to the other you know like <laughs> i was like that's a intro you know like that's so freaky. I don't think I'm going to mention it to the others. Like, we'll just keep doing our thing. You know, like safety be damned. Um, there's a giant eye that I, if I understand, it was blinking out creatures. Like yeah, they were like erupting from its feathered reptiles are dripping from the pupil and scuttling across the wall in different directions. Nine legs flailing. Even as open eyes, sky, open skies watched the great eye blinked ponderously. It's iris leaking iridescent light. When it reopened a tide of tiny golden crimson spiders spewed from within. Hmm. For somebody who's read a lot of black library fiction and weird, crazy chaos stuff, this this was pretty up there in the in the weird and uh, unsettling category. So, uh, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. And uh, I like that they see this and they say, "Hey, this this place was clearly blessed or cursed by the devourer." <clears throat> and like, ah, you know, it's, it's it's a big deal. I'm not sure if it's a a good big deal or a bad big deal, but it's a big deal. 
depends on the day, I guess. Yeah. And uh, there's also like a black, like a bubbling pitch stream. Um, if, if those other things weren't enough, there's this uh, as well. Um, and so from there, we cut back. We're cutting left and right. Um, we cut back to, to Sharp Tongue. Um, David, tell me, tell me what Sharp Tongue is up to at this point. Uh, so Sharp Tongue is finally closed in on his prey. And we figure out that it is, in fact, a very large Raptorix, uh, which is... Which is neat, uh, because did, I you, like, did you have any idea it was a Raptorix before this point? I, I didn't. Well, I, I, in retrospect, it could have at one point it talks about a, a barbed, a barbed snout, uh, being visible, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't, I didn't think back to the figures. I thought it could have been, you know, clearly could have been anything in, in my mind or whatever. So, um, but, uh, I thought that was neat and I thought that definitely sounded like a challenge that, uh, would would uh, be appropriate for this this group, you know? Like, there's, it's not improbable that they might, you know, try to fight this. It's not like they were trying to take down a chaos guardian with just the three of them little selves or whatever. Um, so I thought that was cool. Uh, so there's a pretty savage fight. He's real proud. He managed to uh, make this maneuver and spear the whole thing, uh, spear the animal right through the neck. Like, ah, oh, it's a killing blow. I've got it. But then in its death throes, thrashing around, it managed to knock him off and then stamps on him like crushing crushing his chest, uh, giving what seems to be a lethal blow. And this kind of hunter and meat are yelling their, their pain and triumph as they, as they kind of fade to black. Um, my thought is that we're going to, we're going to find him on death's door and they're going to revive him. And it's going to be here. Here we are like trying to get him out of the cave. Oh, you, you summer child, uh, <laughs> your optimism is adorable because when we do cut back to the, the trackers, what do they find? But two dead bodies. Um, in that sharp tongue's body is sort of crushed beneath, you know, beneath or next to um, this giant Raptorix's uh, corpse. But you know what? I mean, if, if they are despondent or despaired at finding this, they don't let on that that's the case because they're actually pretty proud of them. So they take a look at this beast and sort of recognize its power and basically do a, a figurative like hat tip to sharp tongue saying, Hey man, good job. You took, you took them down. Plus like the, the camp is going to eat well. So like you did, you did your job. Like what better way to go down than in battle with your weapon in your hand and providing for, uh, providing for your group. So, um, it's, it's not as depressing as one might think. Um, even in, even Dyer doesn't seem to, uh, doesn't seem to shake him as much other than like, he's just proud of his, proud of his brother. And it was someone, he was someone that he looked up to and that, that hasn't changed anything, um, which I thought was a, a great reaction. Speaking of tipping the hat and eating, uh, they have a pretty unique custom for doing such a thing. The rite of feasting, which is to say, uh, with, with I, I presume, all uh, untamed beasts, the idea is that um, the strength of a, of a person um, can be sort of passed on and carried on. So, like, that's not unheard of even in real life, right? But different, you know, re- different cultures believe some variation on that. And so uh, what our characters are doing here is they end up... Uh, cutting cutting our dude open sharp tongue and getting their hands on that sweet juicy heart uh and proceed to take a bite out everyone does um in order to borrow from his power and make sure that the power gets sort of passed on um from you know tribe member to tribe member and so they do that uh with you know a very little a little little ceremony i think some words are said um it's very it's very touching um it's made easier by the uh the fact that his chest is already pretty torn open so the access to heart yeah. Now their goal is now they've got this big beast and, uh, the, the goal is, was to bring meat back to the, the camp. So they got to figure out hey, how to get the beast back to the camp. Plus they also got to get sharp tongues body back to the camp because they eat the heart, but then they also proceed to, 
burn it up, uh, burn, you know, cremate the body and then like imprint the ashes into different like tattoos and they use it for all sorts of stuff. And, uh, so there's just sort of this, this denouement towards the end of the book. Oh wait, just kidding. Uh, what proceeds to get back up on its feet? It's the giant Raptorix. It wasn't dead all along. This, yeah. it wasn't even its final form. There's this rippling through the, through the pool as they're finishing things up and, uh, all of a sudden, yeah, it surges to its feet. It still has that spear through its neck. This is not one of those movies where, you know, somebody gets shot in the stomach and then falls over and quietly dies. This, you know, this beast is powering through, you know, and, and this, this thing, this sort of thing you know, happens in, in the real world. Like people, people can get these pretty spectacular injuries and you get lucky and it misses, misses vital organs or, or something like that. So, and now they are trapped. They're not trapped in here with, <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I got it. We all got it. So it's, it's fight time and it's a, it's a, the three of them now are, are trying to finish the work that sharp tongue started. Uh, and and take this beast down. It is uh, it is a savage fight right off the bat. Yeah, it's neat when they sort of face down the the Raptorix. They fall into sort of like this hunting party formation. It makes a point of saying that like these folks have all they've done stuff like this before. Um, they've hunted together for a long time, and so they 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 know they know their business basically. Um, and it's a kind of a game. Not I don't know what the term would be. It's not cat and mouse, but there's a lot of lunging and moving and trying to um, confuse the beast, which is which is pretty wild. Um, the beast and the fight that is. So uh, in the process of this fight, um, I, I believe, you know, Dyer gets knocked down or something like that. And Open Skies makes a move, um, makes this daring attack to try and, you know, get in a, a killing blow. But um, in, the, the, the Raptorix, they make a point of saying that it's got this, you know, animal cunning and it's smarter than they think, which is kind of a theme with these untamed beast stories that we've read. Uh, and it proceeds to catch open skies and tear them in half uh, during during the attack. Um, but during that dis- distraction, as it's going through open skies, the other two trackers are able to bring it down. Dyer gets up in there and proceeds to stab it a bazillion times, and it and it brings the brings the beast down. Uh, but still, pretty uh, a pretty intense fight. I don't want to under- undersell it. And so now we finally do have um, a, a defeated beast. We finally do have meat, um, and they're sort of back to their decision, or back to the, sort of a similar place that they were in before, just sans one untamed beast they've got to open skies but again we've got another dead you know dead brother uh what do we got to do we got to eat his heart too can't leave that power uh uh languishing and so they go through the same process uh dire initially was the sort of given a position of honor when it was sharp tongue's body that they were feasting on and so uh initially they make a point to you know give the same reference to to fleetfoot but she defers to dire again because he's the one who took the beast down uh so again he gets first dibs twice in a row again the rules of dibs in the blood wound spoils uh, are complicated but unflinching um they do the, the, the right of feasting again and then their job is to figure out how to get all these bodies back back home and i'm trying to think of a fun way to give to drop the little the little tidbit at the end davy help me out well so they you know they're i mean they have a logistically difficult problem ahead of them right they have uh, three bodies and two people to, to bring all this bring bring back but uh, as as they're finishing up their rituals somewhere just on the edge of hearing there's a soft splash and ripples disturb the underground lake which is exactly what we saw before the beast surged to life again the last time so what do you think is it the same beast or is it something else uh well i like that it's i, I appreciate that it's left intentionally vague so the first time the beast got up i assumed it was oh this was just a blow that looked lethal, but wasn't, but there may be something about this cave, which BT dubs we noticed is not totally normal. 
that is fueling this sort of cycle of it uh, coming back up, coming back to life. Um, and uh, maybe there's some demand here, like the the blurb we had at the at the very start uh, was that uh, only only one can truly claim the glory of the kill, and so maybe maybe this is that you're going to keep doing this until there's only one left, or I don't know. So what? I didn't read any of that, and that's awesome. Um, okay. Plus, I was wondering, like, cause again, I was I. I am torn on what was creating the ripple. I think they made it a point to say that this particular Raptorix is bigger than they had others ever seen. And I don't mm-hmm. know how common the Raptorix like models that we know of, like how often those are like out there in the world. And so mm-hmm. I couldn't, I didn't quite get a sense of whether or not this was a regular size Raptorix or maybe just a, 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 a natural size of the Raptorix versus is this a, a particularly nasty large one is it some sort of is it you know imbued by chaos energy is it is it special in some way and because mm. of that is it is that why it keeps getting up over and over again um but i didn't think about the cave the cave is weird uh why, why can't it be the cave it's probably the cave <laughs> um so it was quite the beast so uh i liked i liked the raptor x um as much as you can like a predatory lizard uh, bird um because like we didn't we didn't read much about it in the war cry anthology i don't think that came up at all we read about the furies but not any raptor actually. so i'm glad we got an example of seeing what it looks like or how it how it works uh in mm-hmm. the fiction um mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize i was missing it until i read the story and now I, i'm glad we, we got that taste um i like that it's uh, another beast or another uh it references another beast that has a sort of increased cunning it's it's not just a a wild animal, but rather, rather it has some smarts or some tactics, uh, uh displayed it goes to show that like, not only is the Bloodwind spoils dangerous because it's just a wild, a wild, crazy place, but there are, um, bestial sentiences out there or, or like a certain level of, I'm going to use the word cunning again, um, that, that is gunning for you. Basically it, it adds a certain level of danger, um, to the spoils, uh, as well. Even, even the, even the animals are, are smart and they'll hunt you down. So that's pretty cool. Speaking of the wonders of the Bloodwind spoils, I loved uh, sort of the the weirdness that we saw in this cave. And although they noted on like how weird it was, it it by no means stopped them or turned you know turned them away from their their mission. Uh, they acknowledged it. They noted it. Hey, that's a weird furry wall. And then they just kept on going. <laughs> yeah, um, just goes to show that even even the kids in this world um, are 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 down with the the weirdness that ex- that exists. What other what other cool things stood out to you in the the story? Uh, I liked that. Uh, I think there was a real good interpersonal react, uh, interpersonal interactions between the the characters. Uh, what their motivations were for doing things. There was some sibling rivalry. There was some tribal rivalry. Uh, and I joked at the start about coming of age, but there were a couple points where I think Dyer looks at uh, his his brother. You know, the first time he sees him in this story, his brother is dead, and he you know looked at him. He turns him over, and and uh, Sharp Tongue has a snarl on his face, and he's kind of like, ah, he, I, I, he did it. He actually did it. Like I, you know, it's I always saw this him as someone to aspire to. But yeah, he 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 was a warrior, and the same thing sort of happens with uh, Fleetfoot and Open Skies. Uh, she watches him, you know, performing this ritual, and she's like, oh, you know what? He's he's a warrior. He's not just like my annoying brother or or whatever. Um, so there were some things that you could relate to, and then and some things that kind of spoke to the, the culture of the Untamed Beast as a whole, and made them made it feel like a sort of living living breathing culture, which I enjoyed. And just those little 
human connections between them, uh, strange as they were, were enough to, to invest you a little bit more in these characters that you really only see for a short time. So I thought, uh, I thought uh, Sarah Cockwell was uh, real efficient with what she did uh, in this story, providing action and uh, that sort of um, human element. Yeah, agreed. I, I feel like it really grounded you um, in in this, you know, absurd, larger than life, maybe not story, but larger than life environment, and it gave you a, a very relatable, <laughs> quote unquote, relatable story, um, <laughs> and with re- relatable relatable people. Like, I mean, I don't know, the sibling bickering was something I, you know, I think a lot of people are, are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also the, like the mutual respect as well. And I liked um, sort of the interactions or while they were on the trail, they allowed each individual to sort of focus on their strengths or, and the fact that they even acknowledged each other's strengths, I think is probably pretty important, especially yeah. when you're in this sort of group setting, you need to be able to know what each person's good at and allow them to do those things. Um, and that was, a, you know, a, a, I think a, a fun perspective to, to read about. Um, Come along those relationship side of things. I, I the, we talked about the rite of feasting, but I liked that we, we got a glimpse of their traditions. And by reading about their traditions, I think it again sort of informs the culture quite a bit, and it sort of uh, puts a finer point on their respect for strength, um, on their respect for you know each other, and their respect for the dead. Um, it it is a very I don't know I think a, a respect based uh, culture, which. Um, you wouldn't always get or wouldn't always necessarily know um, just by looking at, you know, the game um, or, you know, the, the, the rule sets that we're, we're dealing with. These stories are important because they, they tell you things that the game can't possibly sh- tell you. Or that, let me clarify, they show you things that the game can't tell you, um, mm-hmm. which I think is, uh, is important. Yeah. I, 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 again, like just uh, reminding you that even the smallest members of your war band are individuals. That's pretty fun for translating to the war cry game as well of, following the sort of story and heroics of even your, your smallest fighters is, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, just as just a quick point, uh, it, I think it's one of the few times we ever see, I want to call them children. I mean, they're, they're older children, but let's, let's call them ch- kids. Oh, we don't see a lot of kids in the moral realms or, you know, the eight points are. So this is one of the first examples that I've read about um, just by the fact that I have all those Warhammer adventure books on the shelf. Sure. Uh, and furthermore, it's one of the first like, one of the first like family relationships that like, we get a few of them here and there, but it, it's rare to have family relationships in these stories. And so, and, um, and even more rare for it to be in a, in a chaos, uh, faction, right? Yeah, like, exactly. I wouldn't have they, expected to, to find it here. Yeah. Sharp tongue, uh, talks about, talks about, uh, a memory from his mother and that sort of thing. They, you know, often, often the, the bad guys are the bad guys. And you don't even think about the fact that they have, mothers and fathers and you know maybe children of their own and all that sort of thing yeah exactly and because of that i kind of kind of want more like i it, it gave me a little taste in it it, it re- i feel like it opens up a, a window or, or a space to to write more stuff about when it comes to you know familial relationships and um that sort of thing so uh, i hope you know i hope we can get more of that from a wide range wide range range of perspectives from the destructive side from the you know death side what does that look like what does that mean uh, for those groups, which is kind of cool. All right. And any additional questions before we go to our standard ones, anything else you want to talk about? No, I think good. So what, what shape are the characters in at the end? Uh, basically we've got our two living, um, uh, untamed beasts with, again, that logistical question, uh, with maybe, uh, an additional threat, um, bearing down on them in the caves. But, uh, apparently that's a story for another time. Yeah. Um, who was, who was, who was your dude? Uh, I'm going to go with, so for this, it's something that you thought was cool, someone that you could relate to, something like that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it was it was Sharp Tongue because uh, he started out, he's like, yeah, I, 
I said I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to do it. And, oh, uh, boy, now I'm stuck because at one point he's like, yeah, I, I got to do it, or I'll come back, and I'll be the meal. Um, so uh, ran my mouth. Now I got to yeah. back it up. Yeah, um, sure. And uh, I I can relate to being in that situation of of uh, of you know maybe talking bigger than than uh, I might necessarily be able to deliver and then feeling like oh boy uh, I'm under it now so uh, you should describe my morning yeah I don't uh, I've not yet died uh, face down in a black tarry pool getting killed by a chaos monster so play your cards right and, yeah uh, <laughs> uh, my dude I think my dude is probably. You know, I liked all of them for their own ways, but I'll say open skies um, in that in stories like this, we, um, first of all, I, we rarely got like a direct perspective from open skies. It was all very third person. I think we, we saw more of the perspective of like Fleetfoot, his, his younger sister. And I feel like stories like this, when you get that, like that sister perspective of that, of that little older brother kind of full of bravado, um, it, there's always that... Um, like that, that little bit of a fall or he always has a comeuppance because um, he's, he's sometimes putting Fleetfoot down um, and so you always expect there to be like he's he's compensating for something, but in this story that's not really the case. Like he is a very capable warrior. Uh, I think someone uh, observes at one point that like uh, he knows what he's doing. I think part of the right of feasting and even when he's fighting that like you know he will make a great warrior, a great you know position of power in the warband uh, one day, and because he sort of backs up that um, that strength, and so uh, it, it's the perspective of someone who still likes to tease open skies from you know from fleetfoot's perspective but like she still has that respect and i don't know for some reason i i like that knowing that like the guy had potential like he, he was capable of greatness eventually and he ends up you know when he goes down it's through a through a brash not maybe not a brash attack but through a brave attack on on that beast he's he's not some you know craven wussy dude but like he, he's he's trying to back up um his kind of kind of the same way as sharp tongue actually so uh it was nice to see that it was in a sense kind of a sacrifice when he ends up going down uh, in the long run, which both surprised me, but then also like, I think fit his character pretty well. So I liked him. Good guy. Uh, Good do we, do we learn anything about the mortal realms that we didn't know before? I think we talked about the family stuff when it comes to chaos. Did you learn anything else you didn't really? Uh, know I, about? I just appreciated a, a little bit more uh, fleshing out of the, the bloodwind spoils, what it, what it looks like. Um, I, I like the idea that, there's returns this, you know, this idea of back some time ago, you know, there's this idea in, in, uh, European fairy tales of like the forest is dark and scary and the wilderness is wild and you should be scared to be out in there. Uh, and this, this has a little bit of that, you know, like where, where they, when they figure out, he goes that, uh, sharp tongue has gone into a cave. They're like, oof, oof, a cave, man, lots of bad things in caves, but yeah. I guess uh, we're going in. Even Open Skies, maybe that's is one of the perspectives we got from Open Skies. Is like he got his name because he likes kicking it where you know where he can see the stars and stuff. And so, yeah. is deep in a cave is not his environment. That is not yeah. his favorite terrain. So yeah, that, that was a good thing that we learned. Uh, I think the family relationships is what stuck out to me the most from the learning stuff, mortal realms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so let's talk about any recommendations for the uh, any other stories that folks might want to read. Do you have any recommendations you want to talk about? Well, so off this, obviously, there's the anthology. That anthology included The Iron Promise, which is also available as a short. So if you didn't want to go in all in on, on uh, the full anthology, The Iron Promise is out there, stands on its own. Uh, you could snap that up and uh, uh, check that one out. Sure. 
Um, and then, like again, since the War Cry anthology is the obvious one, um, more time spent in the eight points. Uh, if you read Scourge of Fate by Robbie McNiven, um, that's more on the Varengard side of things, so it's very less War Cry. Um, it maybe has a grander scale, but if you wanted to spend more time in this space, that would be a book I would recommend. And it's pretty good. Um, cool. How about we talk about just what we thought about generally? Any other thoughts or review type things that uh, we didn't cover before? Hit me, Davey. No, I think it was great. I think uh, I think it really fit the space. It was allotted very well. Um, you had some action. Uh, not only that, but you had action that was built up to, right? Like there was, uh, there are a couple bursts of, of violence with the fights against this creature, the, the two of them. But I, I thought it had a, a nice build in anticipation of that coming. You, you figured it was going to happen, but the anticipation of it made it made it better rather than uh, feeling predictable or whatever. So um, I thought it, I thought it was very well done. As as uh, as these things go, I, I go like four out of five. I, I thought it was very enjoyable. Sure, uh, and I'd be happy to recommend it to you know if somebody was like uh, you know how do I you know, obviously for Untamed Beast, but even just Warcry in general, getting getting a sense of scale and scope, like this is a pretty pretty good one to put forward. Man, your review is so good. Um, I want to echo. Let me give a review of your review. Great job, five of five. <laughs> um, no, because I want to echo the point, uh, and I hadn't really thought about it, but it does fit the space very well. Um, the pacing is is top notch, and it has been very clearly beginning, middle, and end. Um had a little twist at the end like it had all the things i like in, in a story at, at a at a great length at a great size um it always kept your attention the, the the jumping back and forth from the point of views never got dizzying like it always seemed appropriate um so i really liked the storytelling like the mechanism by which the story was told um i think was was really great um i liked the characters i like i felt for the characters um so it's amazing that in that short amount of time you, we, we were able to get so much um i don't want to repeat you but yeah, I agree that it's a good jumping off point for the blood one spoils. I think you learn a lot um, and focusing on a small area, but then it informs you um, to like the greater threats out there. So I thought that was cool. Uh, all in all, I, I do recommend it. Maybe I'll give it a four out of five as well. Um, I'd love to love to read more. Awesome. So that's what we thought about the book. Uh, I think that's probably a good place to close it out. Uh, you ready, Davey? Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. Uh, it's time for our reforging. Still here? Cool. Me too. It's Aaron, still the worst member of the Mortal Realms, still interrupting shows telling you stuff you already know. But bear with me, and let me clarify what this is one more time so we're all on the same page. As I think I said at the top, we're covering Black Library, Age of Sigmar, short stories, and a series of monthly shows called Pocket Realms. Because they're small, and I guess they fit in your pocket? Uh, we're releasing these Pocket Realms monthly on our Patreon to our free guild level. That's also the level that grants access to the secret patron channel on our Discord, themortalrealms.com slash Discord. So if that wasn't reason enough to join before, this here's another one. We'll do our best to keep the stories we cover hot and fresh and relevant, so if you want to stay up to date with what we're reading, this is the best way to do it. Find out more at patreon.com slash themortalrealms. However, you may be asking yourself, self I'm not a Mortal Realms patron yet. How am I presently hearing the sounds of these sweet, sweet pocket realms gracing my ears? And to that I'll respond with, Hey, it's me, your inner monologue. Don't you remember that one time Aaron said that after a couple of shows had been released, he'd package a group together, in this case three, and release them as a bonus episode on the Mortal Realms podcast? I sure do. I do remember, self. By the way, are you hungry? Because I could eat. Let's grab a bite. Okay, I'm back. It's me again. So if you don't want to be a patron, that's fine. I don't mind. 
Just sit tight, and every few months, we'll release the shows for everyone bundled together. That's what you're listening to right now. That's what this is. And by my count, you've got a couple left. So I'll let you get back to it. Enjoy. Welcome to the Pocket Realm, a Moral Realm short story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gates this episode are... I'm Davey, and I promise I was not running away. I was just going to fight somewhere else. <laughs> and I'm Aaron, and this time, the Witch Hunter becomes the Witch Hunted. Hey, how are you today? Doing great. Uh, yeah, feeling feeling good. Excellent. Uh, me too. I think I'm doing doing just fine, getting over a little, little bit of an illness, but I think we're back on track here to talk about uh, a cool little, little, little short story. Um, but before we do, let's, let's, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I feel like we haven't chatted in a while. T- tell me, I don't know, what have you been up to? What's the last time hobby you did or game you played or book you've read? Tell, tell me what's uh, going on in your life quickly because uh, these are short story phases. Yeah. Last hobby I did was I assembled Thundrix Profiteers and I continue to be amazed when I put together the late era GW kits at uh, how the, how the, um, connection points just are hidden with the model. Um, so that was real fun. And, uh, uh, just finished reading. The last book I finished reading was, uh, Michael Chabon's moon glow, which was really excellent. He's one of my top five favorite authors of all time. So was it a, a bad moon glow? A bad, oh no, no, there was a, I don't think there was any goblins and killer fungus involved that I can recall. All right, well, I'll strike that from my list then. <laughs> um, yeah, what did I do? Uh, I feel like most recently I've been working on trying to get some of the non, like the, the Warcry terrain um, assembled and put together. So I'm sort of in the middle of that. I don't know what they're called, the Sigmar, like ruin sets. So I've been working on that. And uh, last book I read, I'm, still, I'm in the middle of the city of Sig- Cities of Sigmar, Battle Tome, um, because we'll be talking about that next. And uh, there is no rest for the wicked when you do lore reviews for the mortal realms um uh, (laughs) that's where my attention has been spent uh lately uh cool um but since we have a limited time here let's 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 dive in let's let's jump into our story phase because we're going to be talking about the hunt by david annandale david take it take it away in the short story phase we delve into the short stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. Uh, when witch hunter Barad Davin sets out on the trail of a vile contagion that plagues Gyron, he discovers something altogether deeper, darker, and more terrifying. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, so uh, what we're doing here is we're reading the first uh, of our, of our, I guess, forays into uh, Warhammer Horror. Um, not only is this the first one we've ever talked about, I think, on any of our, mm-hmm. you know, content, it's uh, hands down the first one I've read. In fact, um, I'm surprised it's taken this long. I feel like the, I don't know what they call it, the imprint or the the that segment of books have, has been out for, I don't know, at least a year, probably more than that at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Why has it taken so long? <laughs> but we figured, uh, with it being Halloween time. What better time to, to dive in and dip our toe into that Warhammer horror? Mm, yeah. um, um, this is the third of these that I've read. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll have a little bit more feel for how it fits in with the rest. But uh, so far, all so? short stories this far. So. Yeah, I don't know if any, uh, and if there's been any AOS like novel length horror yeah. 
I don't know if that's come out. Any of that's come out yet. And I, I do think there are some slated. I want to say Josh Reynolds probably has one coming. I might have made that up, but um, as far as I understand it, he's got a knack for those uh, horror stories. So I, I look forward to that. But that's that's not what we're talking. about. We're talking about David Annandale on the Hunt. Yeah. Um, so let's quick uh, give a little overview. Um, our our spoiler free overview, so folks get a sense of um, the the story that we've read here. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's start with when. So this kind of ends up being the same answer we've been, we've been given for a little while here with, uh, with age of Sigmar fiction. Uh, and that is that, uh, cities have been founded. They've been well-established and we're probably after the Necroquake. Um, but, uh, there's nothing specifically placing it there, but it seems like a reasonable assumption. Yeah. Uh, first of all, listeners, I think we're, we're taking submissions for a real quick acronym that, that describes this period of time. So we don't have to ex- spend too many words explaining it every time we read one of these books. Like, cities have been founded probably after the Necroquake. Uh, so <laughs> if anyone can come up with cool acronyms, uh, we will give you credit because, you know, for all the four people who listen to these things. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it is noteworthy because not only, not only is it after the cities have been founded, but uh, the, the fact that the cities have been founded and that the Age of Chaos has passed does sort of play into the story. Like, it, it's sort of required that this has to have happened after that because it mm-hmm. Uh, informs the plot a little bit, which obviously we'll, we'll talk about later. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's to be fair, we, we give, like I said, we give this answer a lot, but I feel like, uh, although I haven't seen it be the case yet, these horror stories being short stories, they don't necessarily have any imperative to move the overall timeline forward or anything like that. So they could be placed any, you know, they, they have the whole expanse of uh, the Age of Sigmar timeline to, to write into. So I, I would anticipate we'll see some of these uh, dropped in at different at different times, um, so worth, yeah. worth making note of. Well, I think even the Age of Chaos would lend itself to writing some like messed up horror stories, probably. So I wouldn't be surprised if we end up spending some time right in that time frame. And not not to spend too much off that, but we we know right like that there were there's handfuls of mortals. You know, the first mortals we ever saw in Age of Sigmar were. Running, running from uh, corn bloodbound in Akshi, and they were just these ragged survivors. Uh, yeah, that is hundred uh, percent. You know, getting chased by blood reavers, horror story uh, plot start to be written for you right there. So. What's so scary about that? <laughs> I ain't afraid of no bloodbound. Um, all right, so we let's talk about where. Uh, so since we had mentioned that this is after the free city has been founded, um, for the most part, it almost exclusively takes place within this free city of uh, how do you, Evereth. Am I saying yeah, that's that right? What I with, yeah. Excellent. So that's in Guy Ran. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of this one before. Uh, has, has it come up? I don't, I don't believe so. No, I, I mean, I, I don't have a definitive uh, recollection of everything, but I, I, this is the first and, time I thought. And what are you here for? Yeah, I know. What exactly uh, do you do I here? I go uh, skimming through it for uh, in that Cities of Sigmar book just to see if it was mentioned in passing, but I did not notice it. Mm-hmm. No dice. But maybe somebody can correct us or point sure. out where it's already been heard of. Um, it seems at face value, it's a pretty, I don't want to say stock standard, like free city um, in Gairan. And the reason I say it's not exactly that is because it does have a, a history that, that also sort of plays into the story that we're dealing with, in that it's one of the cities that did not fall in the Age of Chaos, or didn't, you know, fall completely, in that it was able to last right up until uh, the Stormcast sort of came bursting through, uh, you know, by lightning bolts, um, starting off the Age of Sigmar. So, not every city can can 
uh, claim that. Um, so I guess in a sense, it's really not one of the, one of those cities that was founded later, but rather it harkens back from uh, to the uh, to the age of I presumably myth, right? I, I doubt it was founded in chaos, but um, right. So that's noteworthy. That's that's you don't see that every day, right? Good work, Everest. Yeah, bravo. Oh. Um, so uh, because of that, again, that's gonna. It, I think that'll end up being important um, for this the story as we sort of discuss uh, discuss it. Um, any other any other cool thoughts about where our story's taking place? And they better be cool. Just that we're in Gyron, uh, and so that comes with uh, some of the expected uh, foes. Like that, it comes with a backdrop of uh, they've been at war with Nurgle for a long time. So that's that's kind of the that's almost a where in this case is. Uh, uh, consider yourself kind of at in perpetual battle slash pseudo siege with uh, the forces of Nurgle. Yeah, good job. That was a cool thought. You did it. Um, excellent. Uh, so I passed your test. You've I passed all your cool thought puzzle. Uh, you always do. Uh, David, tell me about the, the, the who's who are we dealing with? Uh, so the main character is Barrett Davin, uh, and this might be as good a time as any to mention that actually the main character is you. Uh, this is story is written in the second person. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, heroes inside of you all along. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, kind of like you wake up and, uh, and so you're inhabiting the role of this Barrett Davin, uh, right out of the outset. And I thought it was a real interesting choice. We can talk about more about that later. Um, but uh, so we've got Barrett Davin, who is a witch hunter. And uh, then I think the other character we spend a significant amount of time with and, and meet fairly early on is Thevena Pasala. That uh, sounds right. Who is an old compatriot of yours. <laughs> Wait, mine? Oh, I guess we do go way back. Uh, Thevena. Yeah. Um, best, best buds. Uh, so it, man, it's hard to like dance around this concept while we're still in the spoiler free section. But like this witch hunter, this Barrett Davin. Um, is is a hair bit different than the witch hunters that we normally see. I feel like the um, the Callus and Toll, I forget which one in that one is the witch hunter, or some of the other witch hunters that we've seen in, like, I don't know, the Hammerhall story. They're also very, like, confident and effective, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're always, uh, uh, they're always uh, two steps ahead of whatever their current problem is. Um, and not to say that that creates a one-dimensional character, but you, you sort of, you, that's sort of what you expect when you're dealing with the witch hunter. And that's not, and this guy... You could see how maybe he would be that um, if the circumstances were different, if the plot was a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, he still sort of commands that respect from other characters in the story. But there's something more to him. Like uh, he's trying to think how to put it. And I guess maybe this is the what is that he's he's um, sort of beset uh, by this this trouble that's that's making him less effective. Like he, he's he's lesser. He's tormented. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Tor- torment is a good word for it. Um, than uh, your run-of-the-mill witch hunters. And I think because of that, it ends up making them that much more interesting, even though the book is, you know, what, 20 pages longer, however you look at it from an EPUB perspective. But um, so we'll spend more time talking about that. But that, I think, makes him stand out. I mean, he's just not your typical uh, witch hunter. Yep. Uh, and that's established real early on. And that, uh, that was a definite bonus for me. I, I was like, uh, oh, this is this is something different. It's something I haven't read before. So, sure. um, sort of proves his, his, the fallibility of uh, witch hunters as a whole, even. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, any other what's beyond what you sort of explained in the story? Uh, there's a mystery to be solved. Um, 
there's like we said a torment that uh is serves as sort of the backdrop throughout the rest of the story mm-hmm. uh but i reckon maybe unless there's anything you want to touch on we could probably just we could probably just jump into our spoilers let's do it the spoiler phase cool so i don't know if it was a spoiler because it's like the first thing you know about anything but i didn't necessarily want to dive right into it but the reason the guy's tormented is because uh he looks out his window every night and there's a, a ghostly host uh, that is slowly sort of rolling like clouds on the horizon um, in his general direction, screaming like, well, I'll say a banshee because they are at least a, a one banshee. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how we're introduced to, I guess, ourselves. In that case, uh, Barrett, uh, he's a he's a, a witch hunter in, in this free city, um, sitting in a tower, and he can't ever get any sleep because in the past, I don't know, a couple months, I think they say, um, he's got these these ghosts that are encroaching on him ever so slow slowly yeah and there's an interesting description of this where they're 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 this swirling swarming horde that appear to be racing towards him but but are still even even despite this great speed are still approaching like they're in some weird uh time warp where they they look like they're moving really fast and they're they're just getting it closer and closer each night but it's little by little yeah, uh, he says something to the effect of like the ethereal distances are different than like physical different distances, yeah. and so like maybe they are covering a lot of ethereal ground, but um, that doesn't necessarily translate to yeah um, real life ground or however you want to look at it. So um, it's uh, basically how you're dumped into it, um, yeah. and I think it's because of this is is one of the components of w- is what sort of separates this story as a is a horror story is because you know i don't know just the psychological effects of having these screaming ghosts always quote unquote knocking on your doorstep um sure it, on top of everything else yeah he so uh he's he is dealing with a whole you Jared <laughs> davin the witch hunter is dealing with a whole lot of fatigue uh and you kind of enter this insomnia sort of thing where like you know, when, when a person is lacking enough sleep, like what, what is actually real? And, you know, it, you, you can almost feel how that is feeding into all the, all the self doubt and questioning that he's, he's experiencing there. Um, and, uh, David Annandale has done a good job of uh, sort of capturing this, this doubt and doubt, like we said earlier is, is, a, is an emotion that we don't often associate with a, a witch hunter. You know, there's an excerpt here, like the end will be bad. You should try to fight them. You don't think you can, you know, you cannot defeat such a horror on your own. You know, you're strong, but you also know you lack the strength enough to try. Uh, and so your portion of shame grows for this witch hunter is not how you should face your end. Yeah. Uh, like the back and forth there is, uh, yeah. I mean, you don't ever see any back and forth from witch hunters typically. So, yeah. So it's, it's not just a, it's not just a physical danger, but it's this, it's this sort of uh, sense of, sense of himself was also at risk here, um, which is, which is pretty, uh, impactful I found. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, and Adele spends some time sort of amidst this internal conversation you're having with yourself, I guess, uh, with the story to give you sort of an idea of who this character is, what he's dealing with. Um, so that when he drops you into the plot of the story, you, you have this, you know, you're aware of what this backdrop is. Um, this sort of sets the stage, um, for this character and uh, his, his, I guess, situation. Um, and then the, the, the plot sort of kicks off uh, with a knock at the door uh, from his servant uh, who says, hey, you, you, you've been hired. You got a job. Someone needs your help. It's actually this old friend of yours, um, and sh- she needs you for something. And so then we sort of jump back into the, the mind of the character as he sort of uh, 
uh, sort of explains why this is an important request. Um, this this old friend uh, whose name you said before, Thavina Pasala, sure. um, actually was an old uh, war buddy. I, I use that term very loosely of uh, Barad because they had fought together back in the age of uh, age of chaos. Actually, hold up. So maybe this isn't after the cities have been founded, come to think of it. Mm, because be. given that the city never fell, and these folks are had, you know, if they're still alive, but they still fought in the age of chaos, like, they, they probably, w- I mean, it was like centuries after after the age of chaos that the cities were founded, or at least a century, right, mm, when the cities right, were founded? Right. So this, this is probably before that, come to think of it. It could be, yeah. I, um, I wasn't sure if this, uh, if the fighting they were referring to happened during the Age of Chaos or if it was just uh, some of the ongoing fighting. Oh, I guess maybe I can't quite assume. I just was under the impression when they said, well, you know, the Stormcast came and saved us. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, was no, like I, when the, you know, the, the, the gates opened and the lightning struck and all that. Fair just, point. Start the episode um, over. We have yes. so many corrections. <laughs> we got that in the world. Oh, goodness. Um, so, uh, hey, listeners, forget what we said before. Uh, this is now the new, new canon. Um, yeah. But the point being is that they uh, they had been fighting and defending this keep, which was actually serving as like a, one of the major defenses for the the city in which they live currently. Um, and I think it's at this point where we can sort of explain that um, one of uh, Baird's um, major regrets is that he had mm, abandoned. Feels like a little bit of strong of a strong of a word. However, I guess I'm saying that because I'm sort of on his side. But let's let's call it. Uh, advanced in a different direction and r- ran back to protect the city w- while leaving the rest of his, um, you know, com- companions, compatriots at the keep, um, which then soon thereafter uh, fell to Nurgle. Mm-hmm. However, in doing so, it was able to delay those forces and, pr- and protect the city. So he's constantly trying to convince himself that he did the right thing and that like the city needed to be defended. Um, and even so, like some of his companions you know, were able to survive this, this Thavena was able to survive, like survive and, and get out of there. So like, he, he's still trying to convince himself that he did the right thing. And that he hopes that like, she can forgive him too. And he's taken this request from her as, um, as maybe a sign that she's sort of forgiven and forgotten. So he's, he's, he's excited. He's nervous, um, especially given his mental state right now with the ghost still sort of chasing him, quote unquote. Um, he thinks, well, you know, maybe this is one opportunity to finally get some sort of, um, forgiveness out of the, you know, out of the world. Right, and and with uh, he's he's seeing a narrowing window for that opportunity because he's he's acting as if he has a doomsday clock on him, right? Like he his his time is limited. When this when this swarm of ghosts catches up to him, it's it's going to be game over. Uh, so that this is this is kind of like his he he thinks his his death is imminent, but he has some chance at at uh, making right one of his big regrets in life. Yeah. Uh- and so, fingers crossed, hopefully he has enough time. Um, and so, he travels to her estate mansion, I guess, because it turns out she's done really well for herself. She's sort of some sort of merchant. Um, and uh, he meets up with her. Um, they have like a kind of a heart-to-heart or an attempt at a heart-to-heart, like a heart-to-heart adjacent uh, conversation where he, he he's sort of fishing for some sort of forgiveness or, hey, like, it ended up being cool, right? Like, we're cool. Everything's cool. And she sort of doesn't outright like she refuses to like absolve him of of anything basically yeah. she's like i can't i can't i can't say one way or the other if you made the right decision she's how, how can i judge a witch hunter he's like mm. yeah which <laughs> then sort of harkens back to like 
although he is flawed, like he still is a witch hunter and he is this um, feared, like respected uh, type of person in the, in the city, even to, you know, an old friend to a very, um, you know, a, a rich, presumably powerful uh, woman in the city. Even so she knows to sort of hold her tongue. So mm-hmm. he recognizes her um, hesitance and sort of deference to his position. And that just frustrates him all the more knowing that like, oh, I, I, I can't get any sort of, um, truth out of you because you know of who I am um, and he doesn't know how to basically ask for it uh, it's this weird um, hesitance uh, to to you know sort of speak openly amongst themselves yeah uh, I think we've also there, there's some mention here she was she was one of the few survivors pulled from the rubble uh, but he was part of the part of the force that came and uh, kind of threw back the Nurgle thing after they saved the city they went back for the keep and found it you know, basically utterly destroyed and just a few survivors left in the, in the rubble. Uh, but she's like, look, you know, Hey, I, I survived and I'm thriving. It's like, Hey, well, it can't be that bad. I, I bounced back. Let's, let's move along. Sure. And I would have thought from his perspective, that, that would have been enough. Like for me, I'd have been like, all right, well, I'll take what I can get. If, yeah. if you're happy, I'm happy. That's fine. But not, not enough from him, for him. Um, but she explains at this point, like, uh, what, what the problem is. Um, so she, given that she's a, a, a merchant of some sort, she, uh, tells him how they were shipping, I don't know, some supplies to some neighboring city. And in doing so, uh, a crate or something gets knocked over, uh, spills out whatever it's contained, contain what was contained within. And it's, um, like a bunch of spoiled like goods and on the, on the barrel or crate or something, it was, um, emblazoned with a, like a marker chaos of some sort like this foul rune was carved into it and it turns out the shipment was chock full of um this like the fouled uh, the goods and so she's like all right well i mean obviously this is this chaos tainted i need to call a witch hunter in to sort of get to the bottom of it and see where it's coming from and presumably root out whatever cult is you know responsible for it and uh, he's like all right well you called you called the right place uh, it's my duty to find out so let's let's look into it and so this is where the I guess the mystery starts. The little de- detective story um, begins where they have to go and get to the bottom of uh, where this, this stuff comes from. She knows uh, the warehouse from, from of its origin. Um, they head to the warehouse. He, he uh, uses his authority to basically waltz right in um, and, and do some poking around to find stuff. Uh, uh, the warehouse manager puts up a, a little bit of a, a fuss, but um, at the end of the day, he is a witch hunter. He has a position of authority and they all have to back down. Um, and it seems like he's not getting anywhere. He doesn't find any evidence of, um, of, you know, this chaos taint. Uh, but at the last minute, as he's sort of climbing some barrels, this, this assassin comes out of nowhere uh, and it attacks him. But uh, you, I mean, you don't attack a witch hunter because um, <laughs> he, he handily uh, defeats him and I think kills him, right? Doesn't he? Yeah. Run a sword through him or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, what 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 does he find uh, from this assassin? So, uh, as as the corpse tumbles down, and he starts to examine the body, and when he cuts open the tunic, finds tattoos, uh, and they are the slithering shapes mark this wretch as a worshiper of Slanesh. Oh, gross! Uh, like Slanesh. That's what he expected to find: ruins of chaos but he did not expect to find signs of vines entwining a mace, the sign of Grenholm keep. Yeah. Which was the name. I don't know if we said it before, but that was the name of the keep that he was at one point defending with um, the Vena. So uh, what? Like if this were a TV <laughs> show, like the, the, the main characters would look at each other and with, with shocked looks in their faces. And then the screen would fade to black um, cliffhanger. Uh, but yeah. So, I mean, like we said, like, 
uh, he would, this is an old sort of image that, you know, harkens back to his, you know, early days when he was in the army. Um, obviously doesn't, ex- wouldn't expect it to see here, to see it here, let alone attached to a, a chaos worshiper. Right. Um, what, what does this mean? What's the bigger, what's the bigger picture? So they need to, uh, trace this, uh, image back to its source, which leads him and also Thavena to their old, uh, Grenholm keep to, to get to the bottom of it. And so they do that. Uh, David, just describe, uh, describe that trip. So they, uh, they set out on the path and, uh, he's a little, little bit of, uh, familiar, you know, he's armed side by side with his, his old friend again. Um, so that's, that's something, um, she's wearing her old armor from when like she served in the, I'll say the military as well, even though it's like still all dented and and blood stained. Um, but like she never had, she could never bring herself to like clean it and have it repaired. Yeah, so it's it's still battle worn. They get there, and there's a um, there's a moment where you know they they are ahead or they're in front of the ruins of the of the keep. And he asks Savina, uh, "How many survived?" She says, "I don't know. No one else. Uh, she saw no one else when she emerged, but that means little. She's below ground alone for days, which is pretty intense. You know, finish off this long fight and then be trapped in the rubble for." days afterwards uh, but at the same time maybe you'd appreciate the quiet <laughs> uh, um and then uh he he's uh the the ghosts are getting louder this this scream is is uh distracting it's it's coming in and um and he can't believe that she can't see them you know it's he's he's looking he thinks he can only see it he asks can can you see them uh and she's see what uh never mind i guess i guess nothing and then he uh, comes to the conclusion that these these dead these are the comrades that he abandoned at Grenholm Keep. Um, these are these are the people that he betrayed. But then he goes back. I, I didn't betray anything. I fought for Gyran. I fight for Sigmar. Yeah, I did the right thing. But can you blame him for thinking that? Like what we know about the Age of Sigmar or the mortal realms that like oh yeah absolutely you you if you stiff someone like some money that you owe them and they die they're probably going to come back and haunt you. Um, <laughs> so like even even if like i don't know you you offended one of your friends uh in grenholm keep he's probably gonna come back as a ghost and 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 knock down your door so uh like like i said i wouldn't blame him for assuming that these are his uh long lost compatriots who are who are coming to um pay him back for what they perceive as as an abandonment yeah get used Uh, to it (laughs) so he can see that sort of the the trauma of the last days that she she spent here is kind of coming back to her uh and he tries to send her home uh she says no this is too important so she stays and uh as they're as they're entering uh the the banshee arrives right at the doorway you know so this is this is it this is kind of the the moment he's been dreading uh and he starts to beg like no you know please help me and you know begging can't you see them can't you hear them and then Devana says, I do. And it's this moment like, oh, I'm no longer alone. There's somebody with me who understands like this, this thing, you know, we're together again. Uh, so she grabs him and they, they, she yanks him just, uh, just clear of the banshees. How, how, like she grasps for him and just missing. They go tumbling down some rubble. Uh, they're fleeing. Uh, she says that she'll hide him, which, you know, I don't know. They're ghosts, bro. Yeah. Where are you going to hide him? <laughs> uh, so she says, I'll, I'll hide you how, where I sheltered from the maggotkin. So she, she knows a place you can hide in this rubble for days at a time. But anyway, so in their, in their 
in the pursuit as they're fleeing. He's, he did notice right, right before the Banshee rise, he sees, he saw this, uh, rune, which is sensuous in its curves, but marked in blood on the way down here. So there is still, if some you're in, of- if you're into runes anyways, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and who isn't, um, but, uh, He's like, okay, I got time for that later. Uh, if I can survive, I'll, I'll hunt again, and I'll, I'll be honest. So descending down deep into the dark, down to this vault deep down, and then Vanna pushes a stone aside. She says, hey, in here you can hide. And he kind of comes up close and looks, and it's all super dark and black, and that's scary. And then all of a sudden he feels uh, something slice across his uh, tendons in the backs of his legs. Ouch. And it is the Vanna has slashed him basically immobilized him and then kicks him in to uh kicks him into the vault and she whispers there's ecstasy and purest revenge i've given my worship for this ecstasy it is glorious and as he slides away into the dark he finds the spirits fall upon her mm. uh, instead of him so, got him good <laughs> sweet uh, prank yeah <laughs> uh so it it uh, he has this realization that these ghosts were were trying to warn him, except they're ghosts, so they're doing a bad job. <laughs> <They're>, uh, <laughs> they're, they are not effective. They're too scary to be uh, someone warning somebody else. Uh, but they they're warning him of the danger. Is so it, it is the dead of of Grenholm Keep, and they are coming for him. They're coming for him to warn him. And in this in this fear state, and you know, I mean, who can blame the guy? But he wasn't able to wasn't able to understand that. And then she. Uh, she betrays him, kicks him down. He slides, slides, comes to a jarring stop, and he is wedged in way down deep in the dark, wedged in between stone. Which, if we got anybody out there who is claustrophobic, uh, you're probably getting triggered right now. Um, it's pretty, pretty bad. Like water's trickling down into his mouth, and then uh, he's, it says, uh, "In your mind, you are screaming, believing yourself to be absolutely alone. So alone again, or is he?" Oh no. Uh, because for if any of you are keeper of secretophobic, it turns out the person who's been talking to us the whole time in that sort of second person narration uh, isn't just uh, an omniscient whatever narrator, but rather it is a keeper of secrets who's been uh, telling us this story this whole time. And he or she uh, has uh, designs to torture Barrett for all eternity, which seems like way too long. <laughs> so this is uh this is the twist and then the twist here um so. <laughs> when one twist isn't enough yeah um i was satisfied with the first twist i didn't know i needed the second twist um <laughs> yeah no so uh it 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 sort of came out of left field came out came out of nowhere i mean i guess we always knew that something was up especially when i feel like these these days every every mystery always has to have this big what reveal yeah. um and i i think for the longest time, I was convinced that the Vena probably was still on his side. Um, uh, and I really was sort of happy to see Barrett have an ally here. Um, so it hurt all the more when uh, she slashed his tendons and, and booted him down into a hole. Yeah. Uh, the thought had crossed my mind that she might be, this might be a setup to, to betray him. And some of that is because, you know, you're reading Warhammer Horror, you know, like uh, it's, it's probably not going to turn out great for people. So just let me have my naive hope. Well, I, I did. I had that hope too. You know, that, that just because the thought crossed my mind didn't mean that I wasn't like, Oh man, like, I hope I'm wrong. Like, I hope she's, I hope she's cool. Can she be cool? <laughs> I don't know if it's better or worse, but I sort of expected that like, Oh, he finally found a friend, but then like <laughs> that gets taken from him. Um, which I guess it did in a sense, but poor, poor dude. Um, so like it, it was a, it was a, <laughs> despite 
us talking about it. In fact, it probably took us as long to talk about it as it would take for you to read it. Um, it, yeah. it was a pretty short story, but I feel like it was it was packed with some interesting stuff. It, it kept the scenes moving, um, and and we we covered some ground. So uh, some things uh, some things we want to talk about. First and foremost, given that this was like my first horror story, Warhammer horror story. I wonder, does do we do we agree that it class is classified as a horror, and what what makes it a, a horror story? Did you think it, it fit the bill? Um, I think so. I think uh, I think setting the tone with this tormented character right from the start um, kind of had that, and then you have your your kind of moments of moments of light, moments of relief where uh, he he meets his old friend, and so you know, you have these these moments where you're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's some hope in here. Um, I, I think it fit pretty well in the horror genre. I don't know. What was your take? Um, so I'm wondering, see, the, my, even when they announced the Warhammer horror, I was, uh, I guess, interested or not confused, but like, there's so many of the stories that we read that are just regular Warhammer stories that I would consider very horrific tales. Like whenever, you know, we, we head into the garden, garden of Nurgle in like Plague Garden, like, how how is that not a horror story? It, you know, it's terrifying uh, in there. Um, I guess it's maybe it's because like the good guys are triumphant and um, you know they they come out on top. But like, there's plenty of stories that we read where the good guys don't win, or you know the the, the your morally gray characters come out on top, and so on and so forth. And there's plenty of disgusting, like terrifying scenes. So I, I didn't know what would separate a, a Warhammer story from just a, a I'm sorry, a Warhammer horror story from just a Warhammer story. I to, to say for sure, I feel like a lot of the Age of Sigmar full-length novels we read, uh, battle is often some manner of centerpiece in there. Um, it's not necessarily the stuff that we were most drawn to. Um, and in the handful of horror stories I've read so far, uh, while there might be conflict and violence, battle is not necessarily the centerpiece. Okay. See, that's a good distinction and maybe something I, I want, I, I plan on learning or finding out more about, like maybe that'll end up being true and that will uh, be what separates these stories from, from the others. But like whenever you're fighting chaos, there is an element of a uh, horrific or, or death. Like, I mean, both of those things are very scary things that you want to fight. Um, but no, I, your point is well taken about um, lack of battle being um, the most important thing. And I think um, a lot of horror generally can be, uh, you know, psychological in nature. And if that's the case, then the whole ghost screaming, keeping you awake, um, and then fast forwarding to the end of having you fall into a pit and now being tortured by Slanesh for all eternity after your friend betrays you, after you've been chased by ghosts, um, that all, I think, lends itself to, you know, a, a, a horror-type story. So um, because of that, I, I could see how someone would... I see how you could make the argument that this this is a horror story. I think I want to read more of them so I can then... Um, to your point, like sort of connect the dots and determine the through lines through um, these horror stories. But if they're if they're like this, I, I look forward to doing so. I, I do plan on reading uh, as many other Warhammer horror, st horror stories as I can, as long as they're AOS. <laughs> Get out of here, forty k. Yeah, shoo. <laughs> All right. So how what what was your first reaction uh, to like the second person narration in uh, how did it come sort of first circle once we re reached the end end of the book? Yeah. Oh, so I I love the the second person narration. I thought it was uh, that was a fun twist. I was enjoying the novelty of it, and I thought uh, just by its nature, it kind of forces you into like I you know it, it pushes you that little bit more into identifying with this tormented person, uh, and I think that immerses you that little bit more so i really liked it uh from the start and then i really liked it when <laughs> it, 
part of the twist at the end where like oh no like it was not just it was not just like a uh narrative you know a, a writer's choice but there was even more to it i uh i like how it allowed the the twist at the end of you know it that it wouldn't have been as impactful if it was like surprise there's a keeper secrets down the hole you know like oh that sucks for him but, <laughs> but when it was like oh no is the keeper secrets talking this whole time uh that was pretty pretty intense and uh and also gives you the the feeling you know of this sort of uh demonic intelligence down in this pit who knows all these things that are going on even though it's not there so yeah uh, i thought it uh i thought it served the the final twist uh, even better. I thought it was very clever. I liked it. I agree. Um, and to build off one of the points you're saying, and that like it, it, the the mechanic of the second person like makes you identify more closely with the character. Um, and I think because of that, it then lends itself to make for a better horror story. Because if you're in the shoes of this person, mm-hmm. and I assume he's or boots. I don't. What does a witch hunter wear? Um, it you're all the more likely to be that much more more frightened or you know uh you're going to feel what he feels all that more closely and if fear is what it is and i think there's a lot of you know quote unquote fear throughout this story um like you're going to feel it all all the more and so i think it, it specifically lends itself to a, a horror story so even if there was hadn't been a keeper of secrets at the end of the book i th- still think that is not only a you know personal preference or you know just a fun little trick to pull off but literally it serves a purpose in the telling of the story and then yeah. it's just a cherry on the top to have the the keeper of secrets at the end too so. right um so there was a lot of discussion here about uh, a lot of internal conflict with the the main character about whether whether he did the right thing and uh, whether he, whether he deserved the fate, like he, he would go back and forth between like, yeah, I, I abandoned my friends. I deserve these, uh, this vengeance that's coming towards me. Um, what, uh, and then obviously he ended up with a, with a totally different, uh, a, a different sort of vengeance than was, was pictured in his hand. Um, what was your feeling on what, what you slash he did to deserve this or <laughs> did deserve it or, um, so I, it, but what, what about, what about I, the character? I do have it coming. Um, I, I, I have been thinking about this and I wonder if it's because of my like sort of association with him because of the, you know, second person narration, if I'm predispositioned to at least lean towards this direction in that cosmically, maybe in the big picture, if he did anything to help contribute, and let's just assume he did, um, to protecting the city by having him head to the defense of the city, like, in some sort of absolute morality, which who knows if that's a real thing or not. Like at the very least, I don't know that he did anything wrong per se. However, from the perspective of the people that left behind, I have no qualms with having, with them having an issue with it. Um, sure. So it, it's, it's weird. Like I am not a moral morality, ethical scholar. Uh, so I don't know how this even works, but like the idea that like, I think could be like greater, you know, the, the, um, have a greater moral imperative, uh, but have that be different than sort of a, a lesser, like on a minor scale, um, mm-hmm. because he did screw some people over to do maybe a greater good. Um, I think people grapple, I'll say just worldwide people grapple with, grapple with that, um, constantly is the, does the end justify the means, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily know that I begrudge him. Like the city, city survived. Um, sure. and, 
I don't know that he, and okay, let's say he did do something wrong. Let's say he did make the wrong choice. Uh, I don't know if he deserves to be tortured for eternity in a pit with a keeper of secrets. So I definitely <laughs> think the, the punishment far out, uh, weighs the crime. Um, yeah. so I, I feel for him. I think a lot of the, the question of deserving or not, I think we can safely say that being the plaything of a keeper of secrets is, is, uh, <laughs> No one deserves that. What, but, uh, what but could you do to actually have to deserve that? Yeah, a, a lot of the story is given over to him, uh, you know, wondering whether he deserves the fate that he think, thinks he's getting, which is these vengeful banshees. Oh, true. Uh, and what I thought when this is actually end up being on kind of a, a double level, uh, you were wondering how reliable of a narrator is because at times he seems to be trying to convince himself. Like, yeah. Yeah, I did the right thing. You know, I, I helped. I was, I was one of the saviors. I was one of the reasons. And, that certainly could be true or it could be him trying to convince himself. And then when you figure out the person talking is the keeper of secrets, then who knows? It's all out the window now. But, um, so I, I like that there were, that remained that doubt, but yeah, I, I was on the, I was on the side of, he, he did the best he could, uh, did, did we thought was the right thing to do. Um, but in, in a moment of desperation in a moment of, you know, this is, this is a thing that sometimes we don't spend as much time on. Like, in war in a life or death situation you can be presented with two really awful choices and uh both both have terrible consequences and he had he was forced to he was forced to pick one uh and that doesn't mean you don't think back on that decision uh all the time which he yeah, apparently does. absolutely and i think the fact that Andy became a witch hunter in the long run makes me like think that he must have gotten some recognition for the things that he did like, sure. like it, it's yeah. not easy to do that so like he has to have been um, you know, recognized for, for something at some point is, is my guess. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, talking about like, you're uh, talking about like what he thought his punishment was in the, in the form of the ghosts. Like, so do we think that the ghost, well, I guess, what, what do you think the ghosts were? Were they actually his fallen comrades? Were they some other warning or sign or, um, I mean, ghosts are like a, st- like a staple now of the age of Sigmar. Like what, but we know them as sort of servants of death. Like who were they in this situation? Yeah. I'd like to think that they are. I, I it was, uh, we talk about the sort of things that we learn about the mortal realms with this, with this sort of, uh, thing. And I, I that it feels like, and, and it's not explicitly laid out, but I, I like this idea of, you know, death and order united against chaos as a common enemy. And this is this, you know, we hear a lot about, Oh, the, the broken alliance between, uh, Sigmar and the cash, but here's a way that it still might pop up, you know, uh, because the dead in this case, if they are indeed, and I think they are the, the, uh, uh, former combatants at Grenholm keep, um, then even though they are now spirits, they, the thing they're trying to avenge is, is against this, uh, this chaos cult. And I, I don't know. So I, I, I liked the little bit of building of here's how, here's how you might end up, uh, with, with an alliance between two grand alliances. Yeah, I agree. I wonder, um, even though they're, you know, they're ghosts or banshees or whatever is presumably in some sort of service to Nagash, maybe not directly, but just generally. Um, I like the fact that like they are rushing to, so even though Baird may have betrayed them in some capacity, like abandoned them to their fates and he goes to fight for Sigmar, or at the very least he did it for good reasons. Like at the very least he went to go do it to save the people um, you know, fight for Sigmar, um, protect the city, et cetera, et cetera. But 
how offensive it is it that the Vena was able to survive, not by doing good, but by like falling to the, the chaos powers, right? Like she was able to, she was able to cheat death by aligning with like the forces of Slanesh or, you know, the keeper of secrets or what have you. So like they could, he, he was the lesser of two evils. Like sure he screwed them over, but at least he did it for good reasons. Whereas she, she like screwed him over in a sense um, and survived, even though she shouldn't have by aligning with chaos. And so if they had to pick one or the other, they're, they're willing to go and warn Baron versus, um, you know, sure. being on the side, which I thought kind of neat. Um, they, they still have a, I'd like to think they still have a sense of, you know, morals or, you know, right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, her aligning with uh, Slanesh. So, so do you think it was because of Slanesh that she was able to survive? Was that rune already there in Grenholm Keep? Uh, was it something that she uh, created? Did she cry out for you know something to save her? Or did she fall to chaos like after the fact, do you think? It's, it's tough to say because if she survived down in the pit because of this thing, then maybe it was always there or maybe, I don't know. Like that, that's not really, really fleshed out. I don't, uh, I don't know. Um, I think it might have been a desperation thing. I, I, wa- I want to say, like, I guess if I had to pick, I would say that she's down, trapped in the rubble, uh, blaming uh, Barrett Davin for abandoning them, and maybe in desperation, she's saying, if you know, if someone can, if there's some power out there that can give me revenge, and uh, I think that's maybe how that happened. I, I, I would guess. Right, you can you can picture the scenario where she's you know in the pitch pitch black and she hears hears that whisper like oh you sure. want out I can I can save you, yeah, um, and that leads her down that path to you know Slanesh. So I think that makes the most sense. But you're right, I don't know if they ex- ever explicitly uh, spill it out. Cool. So just as an aside, I don't think really any of our standard questions apply anymore. So uh, I probably won't ask them. There's really not even that many dudes to say who is your dude. Do you uh, have a dude though? Let me. Uh, well, okay. Uh, when it comes to who is our dude, um, I think I'd probably, I feel like you're going to, I know who you're going to pick, but uh, I guess Baron, um, I, f- I feel like I fall in the trap of picking the main characters all the time, which is not particularly interesting. Um, but uh, it, it just, he had a very compelling arc, very compelling uh, story. Uh, it was unique enough or different enough from like the witch hunters that we see and know. Um, that uh, I was interested, whereas normally I feel like I'm quickly losing interest in in witch hunter stories because mm. I feel like we've had a handful of them. So this maybe reinvigorated reinvigorated me, reinvigorated yeah. there, Aaron. You know words. Um, so I, <laughs> I know words pretty well. So I think he was my dude. However, that seems hardly fair because he was one of maybe four named characters. Uh, David, yeah. who was your dude? Well, I mean, just to spin off that, I, we've, we've said it a few times, but I, I, I'm in the same way. Like I generally, with the witch hunter, uh, I often find them the least interesting character on screen or you know whatever they on the page. Uh, and this was not the case here. Um, as far as picking a dude, I've been trying to shift a little, uh, pick somebody that uh, has some something I can identify with. Uh, and uh, you said you think you know who I'm picking, so we'll see how this goes. But uh, I uh, I am picking the assassin who jumps out from the top uh, of the barrels. That's uh, not exactly who I was thinking, but I was thinking along a similar line in that, like you lately, you've been picking some really obscure, like very <laughs> minor characters. So here's the thing: the assassin has got one job. It's <laughs> planned it out carefully. He's got it all one on one. He's all set, uh, and then goes to execute and just gets a torch shoved in his face and then killed without actually landing a single scratch on 
his target. And uh, I can I can identify that with that feeling of uh, meticulous planning all going to crap as soon as uh, mm-hmm. as soon as things get real. So, uh, assassin, nameless assassin who's dead on the floor, you're my guy. I wonder, do you think that she knew that he was going to fail? Um, I, think I think she so. probably did. I think it was, I think it was uh, set up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, poor guy. I thought you were going to pick the servant. I don't have a reason for that, other than I know you like to pick obscure people these days. Uh, was was my guess. Um, so, in terms of other stories that folks can read, if if they read this one and liked it, or they don't need to read it because we just talked about it, but they want to read other ones. Um, I haven't read any horror stories. Are there other horror stories that you recommend, David? Yeah, I've read uh, I've read a couple. Um, there's the Invocations, um, but uh, one particular story that I enjoyed, and similar to this, I think you get uh, some good bang for your buck as far as time invested and enjoyment obtained. Uh, he feasts forever by Laura Gray. Uh, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was very enjoyable. And if cool. you if you like this, I think you would get a kick out of that one too. Cool, right on. It was in the uh, Digital Horror Week, book eleven. Excellent. I think yeah, and this one was a Digital Horror Week too. Book, I don't know. One of the early ones. Uh, cool, cool, cool. So that, that I think we've given general uh, thoughts. Let, let's let's tack it with a, a, a final review. What did you think of the book? Uh, I I liked it. I go. Um, let's see, uh, five out of six. Keeper of secret limbs. Um, <laughs> <there you go. laughs> uh, it was uh, it was really. I mean, no, I'll bump it to six just because I I I thought it was. Uh, I enjoyed it from start to finish. Uh, I was surprised by it. I thought the um, I thought the time spent for enjoyment gained was uh, at the maximum. I, I uh, it was one of one of the ones I've enjoyed the most. So. Cool. Um, it is a real like tight story. Like there's very little like wasted time. Um, and I mean in, because of that it's also pretty short. Uh, so like I recommend reading it just because it just uh, straight up doesn't take it all that much to do so. Uh, but I think it uh, presents some really good ideas. Uh, it, I don't know if you're really looking for a terrifying story. I don't know that this necessarily qualifies as that. So back to my question of whether or not this counts as horror, I think it, it does loosely. Uh, but if my expectations were particularly high about being, you know, terrified, I don't know that it quite, met them or maybe i'm just a really brave dude i guess it's tough to say uh so but I, but regardless i do think it, it's worth reading um it's different perspectives and, and some unique ideas that i think pay off uh in the long run and just like to go through it in in the different um the the narration style i think it maybe is worth the price of admission anyway so that that's cool too uh so check it out any other thoughts no that's it um right. glad we glad we spun this one um if uh, if you are a, I mean, we reserve the right to uh, totally ignore you. But uh, if you are a patron listener listening to us on the fly, if you have something that you think would make a good next pocket pocket realm, let us know. We got a couple things on tap, but we'll uh, we'll see what you see what you think. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Um, but for now, it's time for our reforging. <laughs> Welcome to the Pocket Realm, a Mortal Realm short story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gates this episode are... I'm Davey, and after reading A Tithe of Bone and the uh, Battle Tome, I'm feeling like an Ossiarch Bone reader. 
<laughs> Ooh. And I'm Aaron. And if you can't afford the tithe, you're boned. Mm. Hey, bud. How's it, how's it going? I'm, I already used a dumb bone pun for the other episode, so I figured I'd be a little different on this one. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not classic uh, middle school uh, skeleton joke, but uh, I'm still proud of him. I'm, I'm not here to pick favorites of, of uh, between your, your puns. They, they're they all great in their own way. So. Then what are you here for? <laughs> uh, to talk about a tie the bone. Ooh, excellent. Um, before we do that, t- t- how, how are you doing? I want to I want to hear about you. That's what the listeners really want to hear about. Sure. <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, what was the, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an option. Um, so what do you think the, the last hobby that you did or game that you played or book that you read would have been? Let's give us a little insight into the day in the life of Davey. Sure. Uh, last game that I played was uh, we we're testing out the new Ripa's Snarl Fangs for Underworlds and trying them against the latest hotness, uh, Grimwatch. So Ooh. I to try that out a little bit. And I'm currently reading uh, Accordion Crimes by Annie Proulx. Oh, very neat. Um, on my end, uh, not a lot of hobby recently, just doing a train and honestly not a lot of games being played. However, I did watch a whole bunch of games at this weekend's past uh, Warcry event thrown by Eric uh, in the Mortal Realms, the Plunging Spires. And so a lot of Warcry being done. And since there was just a sheer volume, I feel like in some small way, I too was playing uh, oh, yeah. in these games. Yep. I'm going to sort of take it from them. Um, but a uh, very cool event and it was a great time. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of other episodes that we'll talk more about it. So I'll leave that to them. But uh, from my vantage point, very cool. And I uh, hope to see more of them. Um, but that's enough about us. Sure. Uh, let's maybe talk about the main subject of this episode. Today, we are going to talk about A Tithe of Bone uh, by Michael R. Fletcher, which I think this might be the first story that I've read by this individual. Um, but let's let's get into it. Let's jump into the story phase. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of the Nine Realms. A champion of Zinch is determined that he will defeat death itself. But when death comes for him in the form of the Ossiarch Bone Reapers, his fate is sealed. Oh, man. He sounds like he's boned. Oh. Getting a lot of mileage out of this one. Check it off. <laughs> done and done. All right. Can we, uh, can we send out like bingo cards for uh, listeners to, <gasps> to have what I think? Oh, Mortal Realms uh, branded bingo cards. But you do we have to actually, send them a prize? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just a fun play. Let's let's table that. But there's there's a lot. There's there's miles in that. Let's, sure. let's think about that. Grand potential there. Write um, myself a note. <laughs> let's uh, start as we'll often do uh, when we do our little story phases uh, with a spoiler free section, so as to not ruin this like four page short story for our readers. Um, first things first. Why are we reading this story? Davey, why do you? Why did you think uh, we should read this story at, at the time? I'm not sure if you suggested it, but I'm going to pretend like you did. Sure. So it's the uh, accompanying, there's a, it's an accompanying short story basically for the, the latest uh, release, the latest Battletome release at, at this time, which was the uh, Ossiarch Bone Reapers. And uh, it seemed like a good way to maybe, oh man, I was going to say flesh out, but yeah. waiting into that, uh, to, to get a deeper understanding uh, get another sort of narrative perspective on this army, um, and so that was our that was our goal in picking this one. Yeah, well, and it's that's especially po- important uh, because it is that brand new army, not only just the most recent battle tome, but rather most recent battle tome of, of for all intents and purposes, a brand new force in the mortal realms. And so um, we have sort of combed through the battle tone and, and covered that. Um, which oh god, we're now we're getting into timey wimey stuff, which 
isn't released yet, but it will be shortly. Um, but like you said, what better way to fill in the blanks than uh, read a story about these new guys? Because we want to get as much information as we can. We want to learn as much about these Bone Reapers and see how they fit uh, in the mortal realms, both the fictional mortal realms and also how they fit within our podcasting network. Who knows? Uh, they might serve as our accountants. That would make sense. Um <laughs> But okay, let's let's d- jump into some facts here. Uh, when when does this story take place? Uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, when our story is occurring? So it, it being real short, it doesn't have, take a lot of time to sort of set up. Like you know, here here's the grand things occurring, but we can we can uh, intuit some things. So there's mention of Sigmar champion who knows we we know this during the age of Sigmar, um, and then we can further locate it there in that. Uh, uh, the Bone Reapers are up and about uh, in a in a big way. It sounds like, which means Catacross is probably operating. Uh, so it also means it's probably after Forbidden Power. So yeah, uh, able to localize it a little bit more than we've, we've been able to for the past uh, past several of these. Yeah, exactly. We, uh, we tr- you know have been lamenting the sort of lack of. Um, these stories that are sort of on the front lines of the timeline as we know them. And so this, this could be construed as an example of that um, post uh, forbidden power. And uh, some of these assumptions are based off of what we learned in the uh, Asiarch Bone Reaper battle tome. So give that episode a listen as well um, on the main uh, mortal realm story phase feed. How about the, Um, uh, how about the where? Oh, okay. So uh, let me tell you, it seems to be taking place in and just outside uh, a Shaishian, I guess, city of, Nazir. What do you think? Am I saying that right? Uh, it could be Nazir. I was Knezer. Uh, I was getting like a, a Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. It was, was a, a little vibe I was picking up there, but I think if I if I had it, I would say Nazir. Gotcha. Um, I'm not going to say it again, but I, I like your Nebuchadnezzar reference. Um, let's hope this is the last time I have to say the name of the city. But um, this is a city that is on the edge of Nagash's domain. And just throughout the story, we kind of get the impression, I think, that it was originally um, sort of controlled by uh, Nagash and his forces. Um, I don't get a sense that it's a, I mean, it's not a Bone Reaper city um, and not even really a sort of undead city is, is sort of the gist I've gotten. No. Um, but it seemed it seemed to be uh, populated by people, like humans, um, yep. at one point. Yeah, I, I agree. It is in Shyish. Um, that wasn't necessarily a given, since we, we know the Bone Reapers operate outside of Shyish. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was worth uh, mentioning as well. Sure. And so when it says the edge of Nagash's domain, did you get the impression that we were at a realm's edge, or just like at the edge of his empire or controlled territory? And furthermore, does, is that the same thing? Um, so I figured it was at the edge of his territory. Um, I think it would have been kind of a more, uh, weird and magically wild environment if they're at the, at the edge of the realm. Although, uh, with the, uh, Shaishin Nadir, um, that may not be true for Shaiish anymore. I'm not hundred percent sure about that, but we do know that, um, uh, following the age of chaos, uh, huge swaths of, of, uh, Shaiish were, uh, conquered by chaos. So I, I imagine that it is, uh, is a realm that's sort of uh, contested uh, in, in large areas still. So uh, yep, yep. That's, that's where I was absorbing out of that, I guess. Sure. And it seems like um, the Bone Reapers are sort of reestablishing and re-expanding um, the sort of Nagash, and, Nagash Empire. And so it, it, yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be at the outskirts. It wouldn't need to be at the outskirts of Shayish. Um, so that makes, that makes sense. 
Uh, cool. Uh, how about some of the who's? You got any who's you want to talk about in our spoiler-free section? Well, short stories didn't leave a lot of room for uh, too many, um, but we do have where we first meet Markash, who is yeah. a Chaos Lord, champion of Zinch, um, and he he has a big demon sword and smoke pours out from his armor, and he's uh, he's apparently got a pretty big reputation because uh, there's a fellow who is... Uh, He's just happy to to hang out with him for a little bit and write down some of the things he does, and that's uh, Palfus, a scribe. Uh, the things he does and things he says, no less. He's also a transcriptionist. Which I, I guess I hadn't really thought about that existing in, in Chaos Forces so much. Not, not that I think it seems out of place, but... I don't know how often we've seen something like that before. So. Sure. Um, we're so used to seeing just the extremes of what it means to be a, you know, sort of part, a follower of chaos. Um, it's rare to think that, you know, and you know, it's come up in different episodes and different things that we've talked about, but that like for like the chaos machine to keep working, it, it, it takes some, some low level, I don't want to say underlings, but in this case, yeah, that might, might apply uh, to, you know, keep the machine running. It can't, it, can't they can't all be mighty demonic warriors um there's other other needs that need to be met and sure yeah like historically they talk about um an army marches on its belly or something like that and just referring to like all the logistical support that uh in in our world that an army needs to be able to go by the the armies in this fantastical world can get by that by you know not requiring sleep or not requiring food because they're whatever but they still need something and so this is we're seeing a little bit of that i guess some, yep. some of the supporting cast, I guess. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, those are the, the main who's. There's a couple other that will be uh, introduced to later on. But the, those who are, are, are the folks we follow um, at the earliest. Um, we can jump to, to the what to see if there's any other what's. Um, I think just generally, uh, we uh, our Mark Ash and, and, his, and his pal Palvis um, are in that city that I'm not going to say again. Um, but uh, they are, they are going to be sort of... Um, not button heads against, but uh, exposed to this brand new uh, death force, and um, the story is going to follow. What uh, what happens next after that? Death force and, sounds like a bad '80s action film, or but. an awesome '80s action film. <laughs> All right, often one and the same. Yeah, uh, but I think that covers our our facts, our spoiler free section. Unless there's anything else you want to bring up. No, let's let's proceed. Let's jump right in it into the spoiler phase. Uh, okay, so we had mentioned that this is a, kind of a shorter book, um, e- or story, I suppose, <laughs> along the sort of the same veins as The Hunt, though. It might even be shorter than The Hunt. I, I guess I don't compare the page numbers. But it's jam-packed with information, so uh, let's let's start talking about it. Um, how, do, how does the story open up? Where, where, where are we thrown into, um, Davey? So right away, uh, this Chaos Lord, Markash, is, is basically... Uh, uh, Pontificating. Oh man, jinx! Uh, <laughs> uh, or, or performing his little soliloquy of uh, uh, he's he's musing on the idea of destiny and and what it is uh, what it is that he's doing here, and he he talks about what philosophers think about it and, and all that. And meanwhile, his uh, his scribe is desperately jotting down everything that he's saying, and and this actually goes on for for as as short as book is. This uh, this lasts quite a bit. Yeah, percentage-wise, it does take up quite a bit of the story. Yeah. Uh, so you get a sense, this is where you get a sense of, of who Markash is. And you know that he has come to the realm of death. Uh, he's made some bold claim that he's going to capture this town, uh, Nazir, 
and uh, and he's been told it says I think there's a quote where people are people are saying like no way you can't do that like it's so close to uh, it's so close to the gashes realm you're totally gonna get killed and uh, yeah oh yeah so it's uh, even even the scribe I said it's too close to Gash's domain they said he'll never hold it you'll die there they had told the young scribe and he had shrugged. Uh, if that's what it took to be that close to greatness, that's what he's going to do. So, sure. so Marrakesh, who is uh, talking about destiny and has some idea that his his destiny is going to be to do come do this big, great thing and and uh, snatch the city out right from under Nagash's nose, um, and uh, that's that's what they've done. And we also know that uh, uh, Marrakesh's mentor uh, tried this a couple years ago and got killed. Yeah. Amarhan. So he was another, uh, presumably chaos Lord. If he, if he, he himself had trained a chaos Lord and another, uh, devotee of, of Zinch. Um, and we talk about how this takes a, up a chunk of, of the book, but I think it's like useful and worthwhile because, um, beyond sort of this, uh, insight into his, you know, his thinkings or the inner workings of his mind, like he is sort of your, your, what is it? Bog standard, um, Zinchian warlord. And, you know, he's, he's capable on the battlefield and he's got his demonic uh, sword, but like this sort of separates him from that generic chaos Lord. Um, it, it gives us insight to who he is also not necessarily from a, a first person perspective, but how he's sort of explaining himself to his scribes. So we're able to learn quite a bit about him and it, and it flavors and characterizes him um, quite a bit, uh, which, um, I think I'll tie back later as to why that would maybe be important when we're dealing with, um, you know, the subject matter and, and the, these um, undead forces that we meet yeah. in a bit. We've seen some with uh, like the, the aspect of, or the, the chaos guide that mm, maybe not most frequently, but often is seen in conflict with death is Nurgle. Like they have this philosophical core difference where Nurgle is this uh, rampant cycle of life um, out of control and, and death is, you know, stagnation. It is not that, um, that's not to see that we, we've seen plenty of the other chaos gods fighting, but that that's sort of the true, the duality that I've, I've uh, had burned in. This was interesting because it talked a little bit about, uh, you know, in, in some of his speech, he talks about, uh, the difference of, of, uh, you know, why, why Zinch would, would be philosophically opposed, opposed to Nagash and, uh, you know, he says Nagash thinks death is everything. He believes all things end in death, and this means his triumph is inevitable. He's a fool. His very nature, his dependency on necromancy, blinds him to the reality. Death is nothing, nothing more than an aspect of change. And so he talks about, you know, like uh, not everything dies. He says gods, gods don't necessarily die, but they all change. And so in the end, there can be only chaos because Zinch is uh, is is change and chaos in its most unbridled form. Uh, I. I I, and I don't know if I enjoyed his word, but I, I appreciated uh, seeing seeing that uh, reasoning, I guess, which you don't yeah. always get. Um, I love, well, first of all, if Nagash had heard him say that, he would be so mad. Um, but additionally, I love whenever uh, an author can take two very um, unique or independent um, identities or forces, or in this case, gods, and find the... Um, the yin and yang uh, amongst them. Um, I w- you can maybe argue that every god has a yin and yang against another god and uh, just sort of finding those connections or I guess anti-connections as the case may be is sort of like a fun thought exercise. And this is yet another um, another example of it. I remember we, there's a fair bit of it um, in like Soul Wars when we were sort of comparing Sigmar and Nagash, um, which uh, was a fun uh, conversation as well. Yeah. 
no one will ever hear. <laughs> that and gone. Um, I wonder if we talk about it enough over like the next few years, we'll have like cumulatively filled in all the blanks of what we did talk about at the time. And then like yeah. we could super cut all of them together and create an episode out of it. Sure. That's that my sounds goal. like a job for you. Darn it. All right, cool. So he's, he's uh, you know, in the middle of his, his, his diatribe, his, his, his one-way conversation um, with the scribe where uh, they are interrupted actually with a knock at the door um, by one of Mark Ash's, um, like his, his second in command, a chaos knight in his retinue um, named Stain Lishik, uh, who basically says, hey boss, uh, we've got a problem. And then if this were a TV show, that's where it would be like the, the cliffhanger episode uh, and it would, it would end right there and we'd have to wait till next week. But hey, it's a book. And so next page, um, he we find out that um, there are some... So I don't, what do they call them? Like weird or unusual undead at the yeah. gates of the city that they've they've conquered. Um, looking to looking to chat at the at the very least. Uh, so uh, Markash does that. So he, he he makes his way to the city gate, stands up on the ramparts, and standing down below is a, a Mortison Soul Reaper. You know, brandishing a big old scythe. Um, and you know, Markash is like, "Hey, what do you want?" Um, and the Soul Reaper is like, "Hey, we're we're." <laughs> Not like this, not so um, conversational, but uh, in short sentences, something in the effect of we're here to collect the tithe. Um, Markash sort of scoffs at the idea, and then he sort of remembers a few weeks, a few months ago previously, um, they had been sort of warned by a retinue of bo- uh, bone reapers who had come to say, hey, you know, uh, we're, we're here to, and they're sort of cut off by a, the chaos sorcerer that he has in his in his employ who burns the the emissary to, to dust. And so this this second group of bone reapers at the city gates um, kind of catches Markesh by his surprise because he doesn't really know what they're talking about because he never really gave him a chance to explain that they're there yeah. to collect bones. Um, and there's, there's a, there's an interesting, you know, so um, you're, you're seeing the bone reapers kind of present demands, uh, but they're doing it in sort of this cultured way and he's bowing and there's this sort of uh, not ceremony, but there's this uh, etiquette to it. Um, but they have to translate. And so entertainingly, uh, the, there's some, something's lost in translation here is like, I don't know, he's saying something about bones and maybe soup. Like, why do they want soup bones? What is that? And whatever. Uh, and they're like, are these, were these the chefs for some deranged necromancer? Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I got, I like that little comic moment and, and they're, they're encountering these for the first time. And they're like, you know, the, the scribe is, is like, well, you know, I've been I've been around chaos uh, chaos warriors enough, so I, I know what a body looks like underneath the skin, and this is not it. Like there's there's something else going on here. So this is this is new to them. Yeah, it's their you know first exposure to them, um, and so they had gotten some of this information actually from the pre- previous residents of this city, and so that's where we got the sense that there were humans who were living here before, is because um, they had been conquered and were given information to um, Markash's yeah. But at any rate, Markash is like, "Oh, you want bones? We'll take a look around you. We've been killing, we've been killing skeleton fools left and right. Like, take your pick." Um, but of course, that's not good enough for our bone reapers. We learned here, and as we've sort of learned in other sources, that it's not just any bones that the bone reapers want, but they want the choicest, freshest, yeah. strongest bones out there. So he says, uh, "For the tithe," and bows again, but in a tone, uh, in the tone of an overly polite apology of someone embarrassed for you. Yeah. Fresh bones, like <laughs> it's another sort of, uh, it's like a, a cultural misunderstanding, which is which is kind of a cool angle to take on this. Yeah, agreed. Um, now I'm a little worried uh, about who we're going to pick for our dude later in the episode because um, <laughs> I, I already know my answer. Um, so uh, 
Mark Hash has had enough at this point. Like uh, again, they're not communicating well. They're not. No one's getting their point across. And so Mark Hash decides to speak in the only language that he knows how, um, and brings a hundred of his dudes out the front gate uh, to lay the smackdown on these, um, you know, the this bone reapers that he's sure is going to fall uh, just as easily as any of the other um, death forces that they've conquered at this point. Uh, and so they do. So initially, uh, Mark Hash um, does a, a one-on-one duel with um, a, a, a Bone Reaper warrior. I don't. I ne- didn't even get a sense the f- what the first guy even was. Maybe he was just a Mortec guard. I, did, did you get an idea of what he fought I, first? And not that I, it matters. Maybe he was like the Mortec guard champion, but I, I didn't have a strong sense of it. Gotcha. Not that it matters because he literally cuts him in half almost immediately. Yeah. Um, and in doing so, that sort of kicks off this much larger battle then. So the forces uh, proceed to, in mass, uh, engage each other. There was a um, moment right at the start of this fight, which uh, which I appreciated. Like you're used to the... Uh, used to the undead legions being totally impassive, uh, but you've, you've just gotten this like, Oh, here, here's this, uh, etiquette and culture and all that sort of thing. And then when Mark Cash comes out here and draws his demon sword, uh, it withers things, you know, within a radius around him. And they actually, there's like a, a, a stirring, like a drawing back. Um, so there's the rank and file kind of react to this, which is, uh, not somewhere used to seeing with, uh, undead. So I, I, I it was a real small touch, but I like that. Scared skeletons. Who'd have thought? Um, was it that guy who was moving slower than he could, and then he speeds up, or is it was it the Necropolis stalker, stalker later? That's the first guy. It was the first guy. Yeah, where it's smarter, Palfus thought it would have feigned uh, the jerky, shambling awkwardness so typical of the dead. Uh, and then and then lunges. He's like, oh, he was he was faking, and then it gets cut in half. Surprise! Um, but then that's when the, the 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 battle is you know met in full um, and. Uh, uh, Markesh is, you know, sort of uh, thoroughly engaged with this one particular Necropolis stalker, um, which I'll talk about in a second, but he doesn't, he sort of notices around him that his forces, you know, uh, chaos warriors that have been fighting with him for a long time are being pretty uh, thoroughly picked off and picked clean, uh, no less, um, as they're defeated by the the Bone Reapers and they're being sort of shocked uh, of their flesh and their bones collected. But that's the least of his concerns right now because now he's locked in deadly battle um, with this necropolis stalker. Um, what are some things that, that caught you uh, about this necropolis stalker? What's what's special about this guy? Uh, so right off the bat, uh, Mark Cash is, is noticing something about its face that is uh, has something vaguely familiar there, and I can't quite place it. Um, it is that, so for people who aren't totally familiar, this is the, the four-armed, um, towering, uh, sort of oversized skeleton is that is that right yeah so they're like the the giant skeletons with the forearms um and i think even on the models they have a bunch of different faces on their skull yeah um but pretty right. and elite in the, warriors in the game they can change which aspect um and this it represents that uh, it actually does it so like as they're fighting its head will snap in a new uh snap around and a new face will come to the fore and then it's got a whole new set of skills so as he's like okay i'm, I'm kind of getting it I, i've got the sense of this fight I think I can hang in there. I think I know how to beat it. And then it will, you know, switch, switch personalities and have a totally different style. Oof, gross. Um, but the, for the first uh, face that he defeats, I think he realizes it before it disappears that the reason it's familiar, he sort of learns, you know, he, he learns about the, the, the opponent via battle, via combat, um, is that it's actually that Amarhan uh, Zinchian champion that had previously come here and so was sort of his mentor for a while. So that's how he, he knew that somehow Amarhan was in this uh, stalker 
um, because he, he had the same fighting styles and fought the same way. And in knowing that uh, Mark Cash was able to defeat him because he knew, you know, how, how he, how he fought. Uh, but that wasn't enough because uh, the head clicks to the side and then he has to fight this new enemy um, who I think is a master swordsman or something at this point. I forget what yeah. order they come in. There's a, uh, right. There's a master swordsman. And then there's, uh, I like this one, a uh, new warrior, uh, with the chiseled jaw and smug superiority of a Sigmarite champion. Yeah. Which uh, I don't <laughs> even know what that means, but okay. <laughs> uh, so there was an elf in here. Was that, uh, was the, the, um, blade master elven warrior cotton mid scream. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, closed out with a, a cold eyed woman. I don't know if that's something we're supposed to know about, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, Markash is able to defeat each of these, not without taking uh, sort of wounds himself. Um, the Swordmaster is able to like cut into him a little, uh, you know, uh, slash through his armor. Um, I don't remember what the Stormcast guy does, but at some point, like he gets his fingers cut off um, while he's you know chopping off limbs of the the Stalker, and uh, like the last uh, uh, aspect that he has to fight ends up being like a master quarterstaff fighter um because yeah. it was wielding a spear and then the spearhead got chopped off and so he starts wailing on him with this basically stick um which i can't imagine uh, markash is used to fighting a quarterstaff master <laughs> that doesn't come right. out much um but all the while he's just getting slammed left and right but um finally eventually he's able to have defeated all of these aspects um but again without his fingers and he had been stabbed at one point um so he's in very rough shape poor guy um and then uh it's minor thing, but what happens to him next? <laughs> the uh, the emissary comes over and says, ah, good tithe, cuts his head off. <laughs> uh, just uh, sides it, clean clean off. Um, blood starts, not to be graphic, but splurting from his neck hole as his body slumps to the ground and the head rolls and basically thinks to itself, like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't expect this. I haven't seen my fingers in years. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When's the last time I saw my own skin? Weird. Yeah. yeah. That's so crazy. His, his head retains consciousness for which is a which is a kind of surreal moment here. What better place for that to happen than in the realm of Shayish, the realm of death? I'm sure that probably happens to most people, even if you get decapitated. Sure. Um, spooky. Um, and so that's uh, basically the end of uh, the living Markash's interaction um, with the Bone Reapers. Um, very systematically dismembered he and his forces. Uh, furthermore, actually, it's worth mentioning that um, his scribe had actually walked down here to the battlefield with him because he was you know, there to observe and document. Um, and he was so confident in, in the prowess of his of his champion that like he wasn't really afraid um he got real afraid real quick though and at sort of the final death is the um bone reapers noticing that the scribe is just hanging out there and they just sort of fall on him and and take him apart and strip him of his uh, flesh as well and bones yeah. and soul as we find out later yeah uh so then this next section is kind of given over to uh the experience so it switches perspectives a little bit like we have we have some from markash and what's left of markash with his soul but then the soul reaper um uh doing that sort of uh blending process and i think this might be where the the uh, translation error of soup came from because mm -hmm. it talks about like blending these things mm -hmm. um, like bone meal yeah um and it, it talks about and th this is interesting so it cuts cuts parts away from markash's soul yeah let's Let's cut away. Uh, the Soul Reaper cut the idea of Zinch from Markash. So like, oh no, we don't want that. Let's get that out of there. Uh, but it talks about this idea of like, got to leave the shape intact. So there's a hole there. You got to fill it in with something. It's like, well, I'll 
we'll, we'll replace each with uh, Nagash in here. Yeah, yeah replace like done. with replace like with like. Yeah, uh, but he does come across these, this one uh, concept. He's like, I'm not sure what to do with this. There's destiny in here, like this this idea of destiny, which he was uh, so hot on in his monologue earlier. Um, and so uh, there's there's it's cool because it's this sort of little puzzle for the. Um, for the soul reaper to sort of try and figure out like, what, what should I do? And then realize in for, uh, for the Ossiarch death and destiny are the same thing. So I'll just, uh, I'll replace that with death. The idea of destiny is death, uh, which is, which is a, a change for, um, for Mark Hash who, uh, saw death as just another, uh, change. Right. Mm-hmm. So he already had a, an idea of what that was. But. Sure. Um, so this is sort of how his uh, soul is then shaped and reformed and reimagined. Um, and then he takes that, he being the soul mason, takes that, I guess, final product or some portion of that final product and in sort of cosmic justice um, throws away the sort of components of uh, Amarhan, the the old Zinch champion, and in, instead replaces um, the the slot uh, in that necropolis stalker with Markash's uh, soul and presumably some of his bones and other uh, you know, com- uh, ingredients. Um, and Markesh now finds himself in the quote unquote body, loosely defined body, um, of that, uh, creature that he had defeated alongside the other, uh, soul fragments of those warriors that he had beat sort of individually, um, as part of the stalker, uh, real, real uh, world of Warcraft moment. You, uh, you have a helmet that you really like, and then you, you find a cooler one. So you got to throw the, the old <laughs> one that you, you felt good about for yep. so long. throw it away. There's um, a new one. And so then we're sort of back in a familiar setting where we have a lot of internal thoughts of, uh, from Markesh as to what this means. And basically we're um, given insight as to how he sort of evolved or changed um, now that he's been remade in this, uh, I don't know, Bone Reaper image. And so he, you know, again, sort of waxes nostalgic about what, you know, how destiny now means death and you know, his, different, his different perspectives on what God, like what gods he's following as, you know, Zinch from from Zinch to uh, Nagash. But then um, his attention sort of shifts a little bit and he sort of realizes and takes stock of like where he is and who he's with. And he comes to the realization that, you know, actually I'm in this body with these three other warriors, uh, all of whom I've defeated. Like I've beaten all of you. So if there is a hierarchy, if there is a pecking order, turns out I'm on top, like I should be in charge. And so that doesn't necessarily drive or it's confusing to the others that are in this body who um, they're used to having sort of a shared control over the body, wh- whether individually at a given time, but uh, collectively um, they are sort of, I don't know, egalitarian or, or what have you. Um, but that um, doesn't sit well with Markesh and it sort of harkens back to his previous life or his pre- pre- previous perspectives where he, he sort of notices, well, nope, nope, that's not good enough for me. Um, I still want to be in charge um, of this particular body. And, and even then that might not be good enough for me. I want to be in charge of all necropolis stalkers. I want to be, I want to lead a, a legion of uh, bone reapers. Um, and so it's that sort of inkling of his previous life sort of running through um, his, his new mentality, which is, I think, a, a great uh, reference to the fact that these bone reapers are still autonomous. Uh, Davey, tell me about the autonomy of bone reapers and how you like it so much. Well, that was uh, in in our app where we were talking about the the battle tome. What what I enjoyed was that it gave gave the opportunity to uh, inject character into your army rather than being you know uh, emotionless, thoughtless, and just all 
you know, having 95% of your army not necessarily have any motivation other than to follow the commands of, of uh, whatever necromancer or vampires in, in charge. This, uh, even, even this guy, this bone stalker now has, has these cool individual motivations. So I, I do enjoy that. And you can tell that it, there's, he's, while he is autonomous and is having his own thoughts, he's, he, there's, he's not hundred percent all there because a large amount of time passes and he is not like, it sounds like a year or two later, they, they come back to, um, Knezer, uh, what did I say? Nazir. They come yeah. back to Nazir and, uh, he's like, Oh yeah, this place, how long has it been? Has it really just been, you know, like, uh, I guess here I, here I am. And, uh, that, uh, alt rock dude stain is up there and he's, uh, grinning and it's basically the same thing. So you feel like there's a kind of a cycle repeating here. Like, um, his, his previous boss, Amarhan, uh, went here, got killed. Then Marrakesh went here, got killed. Now Stain is here and, uh, spoiler alert is going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, has Marrakesh's sword no less too. Yeah, that's true. Right. Right. But yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the story plays out the same way. Uh, the bone reapers are there to collect the tithe. Stain says, you're going to, you'll find no bones here. Uh, he marches out and, or, but it does say Stain strode from the city, sword drawn, teeth bared, and confident grin. And Marcash met him in single combat and took his head. Uh, but there was a there was again like continuing the sort of uh, clash of cultures thing. There's a moment here where uh, the the bone shaper is is up front saying, uh, uh, "Decent bones, acceptable tithe." You know, just looking at he's he's uh, sussing out Stain's bones from from uh, from down below. And then um, he's about to call call out to the mortals above that Marcash steps forward, and uh, the rest of the bone reapers is like, "What? Like this is this is a breach of etiquette? You're yeah. not you know, highly not irregular." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, but again, there's that autonomy. There's that uh, there's that individualism, which is uh, represented in this army, which you don't see uh, as often in some of the other death factions. Yeah, agreed. Um, and then, like you said, they fight, and uh, the Bone Reapers are victorious, and it seems like uh, Nazir is not long uh, for this world, at least in its current state. Um, and then the book ends. What a ride. What a roller coaster. Um, <laughs> how fun is that? Uh, so any other thoughts about the plot before we get into some other other questions, other fun thoughts? No, let's jump into them. All right, let's do it. Um, so I'll just ask you right, right off the bat. How how'd you feel about his destiny speech? I guess um, let's start at the, the his first destiny speech. Um, did it ring true with you at all? Um, I mean, it wasn't like the the most amazing thing ever, but it, it was it was fine. It felt like something that uh, a follower of Zinch probably spent some time thinking about. You know, <laughs> um, how much how much is of your own will, and how much is um, how much is preordained, especially when you're you're working for a, a uh, big plotting chaos god. Uh, he even gets into like, you know, uh, so how far does destiny extend? Like, is it is it your destiny to step in a puddle or stub your toe? You know, um, I love the idea of a chaos lord even uttering the words "stub your toe" or, or, or even referencing a puddle. Like, that's nuts <laughs> yeah. to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> such things so beneath him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I believe that he would be wandering around uh, talking about this sort of thing. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, it's, I mean, also kind of fun or interesting to see this big hulking, you know, brooding, 
uh, chaos lord uh, with his you know dark armor and smoke billowing out and like this is these are the things that occupy his brain like these are the, the thoughts that he has um is kind of a juxtaposition between like sort of this philosopher i mean not really but uh the philosopher and like the warrior um uh, i think this destiny speech like I, I sort of alluded to before is important um just because uh, you needed to sort of cement the character as to like who he was and what he thought and what his personality was um, what his goals were uh, so that you could um, still have something for him to hold on to. So very, so very, very smally or uh, whatever an adverb form of small is um, later on to give him something to maybe hold on to when he does end up getting changed into uh, that, that bone reaper. Um, so obviously his opponent opinion on destiny changes by the end of the story. Did, was that a convincing <laughs> character arc, I guess you could say, or evolution uh, for you? Yeah, I mean, some of it was forced upon him by the uh, by the re not reforging, but the uh, the soul souping um, from the uh, soul reaper. Um, mm -hmm. But sure, yeah, I mean, I mean, if, if not for character arc, at least for the arc of this short story. Um, so, yeah, cool. Uh, what uh, were you surprised by old Stain Lishik uh, locking him out? I mean, not really, because at the time it didn't even see like it was something he shouldn't have done. Like, I don't, the way uh, um, Mark Ash sort of just marched out with his like chosen, I don't know, hundred or however many warriors he walked out. It seemed very intentional and like he wasn't bringing his whole army. He just was bringing a small force. And so I, I don't know, when I leave the house, I close the door too. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it kept referencing Stain's betrayal and it never really read as a betrayal to me. I know I just felt like he was doing what he was supposed to. I mean, Markash even says, you've got the city while I'm gone. Like, sure. So he's going to hang out in the city. Um, so I don't know why he had such a chip on his shoulder about like what he did. Um, sure. I, I think it became a little more obvious when Stain Lishik is up there and, and grinning. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's, he's not going to open him back up you oh. know, or help him if things go bad. But yeah. I gotcha. But I know it, I never would have expected Marques to expect, like ask him to open yeah. him back up. If he's I losing, mean, he probably would take it on the chin. They're followers of Zinch. They gotta, they gotta know that it's all about betrayal and yeah. plots. You it's know? true. It should be expected. <laughs> should be proud. Yeah. Um, and Stain was just happy to see his liege Lord, uh, on the battlefield. Like that's why he was smiling. <laughs> he's a sight to behold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my question is, how does a Stormcast become merged into a Necropolis Stalker? Um, Good question. I mean, I just would expect a soul to go rocketing into space via Lightning Bolt um, Express. So, so how's that I, work? There must be some... I mean, it's the Soul Wars, right? Like, mm -hmm. we we have uh, precedence for Stormcast souls getting oh, true. snagged. Um, mm -hmm. So that's not... How they were. This, uh, this idea of the... Uh, necropolis stalker with four faces that are identifiable uh so it must be something with because you're not going to get the bones of a of a storm cast right like when you think so soul, you're not probably getting the bones so it must be something to do with you know uh using using existing bones and then whatever the soul presence you have in there forms a face because it's not like you know if i saw a skeleton Aaron, i'd be like oh yeah that 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 bone face looks kind of familiar oh it's Aaron, you know but I mean, I guess if you look at the models, it's not like they look like lawn skulls. So yeah. anyway, which is all to say that there, there must have been some way to, uh, and we don't know how common this is, but to have uh, snagged the soul of Stormcast before it managed to return to Azir. Sure. I'd like to see uh, uh, Morrison, Soul, Reaver go, you know, up against the Stormcast just to see what they do um, as they're sort of like grasping at straws as the lightning's getting away and they're trying to catch them as they uh, sure. bolt off. Um, I wonder also if you defeat uh 
a, a bone reaper that has a stormcast soul in it does does it then oh. shoot off into space like how's that work? fragment uh, yeah yeah um i think actually uh, i think uh alex nygaard had asked that question a little late after our previous episode so that's my i'm throwing him a bone here yeah so i'd be interested to see how that plays out um i don't remember do we do we mention that uh palfus uh he actually ended up riding along in the Necropolis Stalker. He was back in. Oh no, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. So he continues to observe. I, I will witness. There's just a tiny little piece of him hanging out in the in the Stalker, uh, still watching Marrakesh. So yeah. he gets to do that for all eternity. Congratulations. It's not explicitly said, but I wonder if that serves as a little bit of anchor, an anchor, or harkening back to his old life that like is able to focus Marrakesh a little bit, like sure. keeping them next to each other, like is a reminder to his old life. And if not, it should be. Um, I just I just added it to the story. <laughs> Might have been an intentional play. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, Palfus, how did you how did you feel about his uh, ignominious defeat? It's we- It was weird to me. It was sort of jarring in that, like for the mo- like for the f- first chunk of the book, he was the POV. We were seeing everything from his perspective, which is you know was a good way to do it. Um, both to get sort of the exposition, and we the audience is sort of or he's sort of the stand-in for the audience for the book. And because of that, when I sort of identified with him, to have him just like cut down as an afterthought uh, later on was like, oh no, I just, you, you just cut me down as an afterthought. Ouch. As, as observed through Marcash's severed head. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was just jarring and I, I feel bad for the, I'm going to say little guy. I don't know. I don't think he's ever physically described, but in my head, the little guy. Um, how, how much yourself... I mean, I think it just sort of uh, was reinforcing that he's he's just a spectator. Like he's not he's not uh, an active. Uh, he does not have an active role in the mm-hmm. story. So well, and you know, actually, that uh, it sort of co- calls to mind or serves as an example um, that like he and a bunch of other sort of inconsequential things are not below the notice of the Bone Reapers um, throughout the story. Uh, the big like Gothazar harvesters are, are constantly like snatching birds and like critters out of the sky and evaluating them for like use uh, in the, in the army. And so it just goes to show that like, they'll at least give notice to, you know, all levels of, of creature or and bone specifically and sort of evaluate whether it's, um, you know, useful to their cause. And so, um, yeah, uh, birds, critters, scribes they're all uh they're not b- beneath um bone reapers to sort of take into account Inter- interesting uh cool any other questions on your end uh we'll get into some of our standard ones no all right davy what uh what, what shape are the characters at the end or the, or the setting of the story well so marrakesh is now a devotee of nagash and all in on that but he still has his own sort of uh, idea of this greater destiny like we talked about like i'm i'm gonna be the boss of the ne- necropolis stalkers and you can see that you know it, it sort of happened to him uh uh he talked about back when he was a chaos warrior like my my goal was to be a chaos knight and then became that and like well now what's my goal well, i would like to gain demonhood or you know it was this idea of of uh, always sort of wanting to uh uh win more and earn more and uh, you can imagine that happening now uh in his current form uh, he's already sort of subverted some of the normal expectations uh, of of uh, having primacy within his own uh, body and uh, and then stepping out and making a demand, which is sort of not his place to do. Um, so he's he's kind of a, you can imagine a sort of interesting potential arc for him moving on from this story. Yeah, his, his desire for advancement is a persistent through line, no matter what form he finds himself in. So that's an, another example of, you know, so how he's able to hold, hold on to that part of himself, which is very cool. Um, but sort of 
on the flip side of that, so he that's his sort of character arc, but just the, the story at large or the setting at large is that the same story is being told over and over again, um, and the Bone Reapers are constantly grinding on. Um, and so it doesn't matter the force that they come up against, at least in this particular you know area or zone, um, they're going to come and get their tithe. Um, it doesn't matter what Chaos Lord's in charge. Um, and so it just sort of, that cycle is repeated over and over again, maybe yeah. for infinity. Um, here it is, I'll ask you... Who was your dude? All right, so my dude is uh, Palfus. Okay, uh, and specifically, there's a there's a particular moment. I actually mentioned it already, where uh, I think it comes up a couple times. But uh, uh, when he's talking about when Mark Ash is talking about, can one be destined to step in a puddle or stub a toe? And Palfus is like, uh, I don't know if that's a joke or an actual question. So uh, I'm just going to keep my head down and keep writing and pretend this didn't happen. He knows to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. I was like, I can identify that moment. Like, I I do not understand what's going on. So I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. Uh, that you probably get a lot of that uh, while recording the Mortal Room story phase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those, those long sections where I'm quiet. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. You should see the look uh, in Davy's face. How about you? What'd you pick? Um, I was worried you were going to pick. He doesn't have a name, but the Mortison Soul Reaper uh, was just downright delightful. Um, it's fun to have like a very upright, almost devoid of personality, uh, end up being such a fun little personality um, in the guy. So he's he's your classic, um, you know, etiquette to a T, uh, pomp and circumstance uh, individual. But like, and yet, despite that, he still had quite a bit of personality, sort of his, his looking down on these chaos warriors um, and, you know, sort of that, that glibs. It's not sarcastic because he doesn't mean to be sarcastic, but it still comes off as sarcastic from from like the audience perspective. It's the only one that has a whole handful of lines. Um, very rarely are they even complete sentences. Um, but because of that, I really am now really drawn to those uh, types of, um, I guess, mortisons or, or characters in the Bone Reaper army. Um, and it's, I guess, one of what will end up being many uh, sort of personalities because of we sort of alluded to the sort of individualistic nature of these Bone Reapers. Um, I feel like there's potential for a wide range of different types of characters, um, which I'm sort of hoping to hoping to see more of as well. Um, hey, what did we learn about the Mortal Realms that we didn't know before? You got anything? Did you learn anything? Uh, for me, it was just the idea of uh, how the we talked about how the uh, the soul uh, blending process works like that that got uh, filled out a little bit for me um and uh it was also a good reminder that uh shyish is still a realm that is not fully in the gashes clutches like mm-hmm. it, you, you like to or like to you, you tend to think of it as oh the gash has the entirety of shyish but he doesn't like it's still uh, it's still a realm at war yeah true um <laughs> My grasping at straws is to think, well, no, actually, I'll say big picture thing. I actually read this short story before I'd run, read the Battle Tome. So a lot of this was new to me. These are a lot of the, the just the machinations of the Bone Reapers uh, were things that I didn't know before. So this was my first exposure to that. Um, but on the smaller scale, uh, I learned that apparently some people are willing to serve as scribes uh, in the Chaos <laughs> Army. Uh, wouldn't expected that. And then also just that some regions of Shyish uh, are hot and sticky. We didn't really talk about that because it didn't really contribute to the story all that much. But I don't know, when you think of Shyish, you think of cold, dark, dry. Um, but as we know, the realms are borderline infinite or something close to it. And uh, obviously, they're going to have all sorts of different environments. And so this is, I think, the first time, not that it factored in the story, but one of the first times that we had um, this type of uh, 
client I was in the- I was willing to entertain the possibility that in his sort of uh, vaguely paying attention state that they had uh, wandered off into uh, Guyran for a little bit and then come back but uh, yeah it's not spelled out no no, no such like um, cool uh, all right so then uh, let me ask you about um, any recommendations for other black library stories that folks could read uh, if they like this one or you know something along the same veins a little tricky because there's not a lot of bone reaper stuff out there but what do you think so uh, if you enjoyed the perspective of, of here is how uh, a chaos champion operates, then, uh, then Scourge of Fate is, uh, is a good example there. Like if that's a part of this story that kind of grabbed your attention, then, then that'd be cool. Uh, if it was, uh, if it was more about the idea of the interesting ways that the realm of death can interact, then I think Lord of Undeath had some, uh, obviously nothing to do with Bone Reapers, uh, but there they had, uh, the living fighting alongside the dead. And, and so if you just wanted to uh, flesh out your understanding of the, of Shyish, then that would be the, the other side of that coin, I guess. Sure. Um, I feel like uh, Undying King would kind of do some of that too. Um, but hearkening back to your Scourge of Fate reference, I really got a, um, oh God, I was going to look up their names, uh, but the relationship between Markash and Palfus was, I don't know, kind of similar to the relationship between the main character in Scourge of Fate and his little, his squire. Um, yeah, and it's the like guy the, who had to be something, but yeah, he, but yeah. never was, but it's that, it's yeah. that big, uh, chaos Lord or, you know, Varengard, I guess it's it end up being. Um, and his, his, his assistant is, is, is his little guy. Um, it, it, it had that same sort of vibe or relationship that, um, I really enjoyed. Uh, and honestly, because of that, it made me wonder if Palfus was going to have a bigger role, which is why I was sort of disappointed that he died so easily. Um, it's yeah. that it's harkening back to that feeling that like, oh, there's got to be more than meets the eye to this dude, especially as a follower to Zinch. You would think that like, oh, no, he's going to end up being a, a blue scribe or something. Um, but uh, no such luck. Did not happen. Uh, at least not yet anyways. <laughs> uh, but that is that um, if you listeners have any other thing, uh, books or stories that you think would fit this, by all means, let us let us know. I'd be interested to know. Um, all right. Let's wrap it up with a little bit of a review. What did you think of the story? Uh, so in, I enjoyed it. I thought it was efficient at uh, doing doing what it needed to do, which was let me learn a little bit more about the, the Bone Reapers. Uh, I had a, a couple complaints where uh, occasionally it seemed to shift its perspective between uh, Palfus and uh, Markash without without it necessarily being clear that that was happening or you know so I I was a little disoriented occasionally uh, about trying to figure out uh, who I was supposed to be invested in who I was following you know I it, I'd started I thought oh this this whole story is gonna be from Palfus's perspective and then uh, after a little bit, I realized, oh, no, now I'm, now I'm in Mark Cash's um, line of thinking. Um, but and then, the, that, and then uh, the Soul Mason at some point, too. Right, exactly. And it, it didn't, there weren't, it didn't even feel like there were, you know, sometimes there'll be section breaks or something to show you, oh, okay, like we're, we're shifting here. And it just, uh, it kind of flowed between the two of those. That um, I don't know, I don't know why that bothered me as much as it did, um, but it, it just made it a little, uh, I noticed it, I guess mm-hmm. it was, it was nagging there. Uh, but other than that, uh, like I said, did, did what it uh, needed to do. So, um, I'll give it, uh, four out of six necropolis stalker limbs. Ooh, good. Um, what, what did I think of the, the story? Uh, it, it was a, a good little taste. Um, I think, uh, it, it helped 
Um, so actually, I ended up reading it twice because heck, you could read it a million times because again, it's pretty short. Um, uh, I read it after I read it before we read the Battle Tome, and then I read it after again just to sort of refresh myself. Um, and so I think ha- having read the Battle Tome, it helped uh, a little bit, and like it gave me an idea of even what like the units we were dealing with were. Um, like I didn't necessarily even know what a Necropolis Stalker was until like I read. Um, but like having read both of them, I feel like now I have a pretty pretty complete picture. Um, that's an aside. I, that just helped me uh, for for the book. Um, I did enjoy it it did have it had like a pretty clear convincing like when we say character arc uh, i don't know if he grew per se but like he changed that's that's for sure um so because of that it, it felt um clear concise i think he used the word efficient and i think that was um uh a good a uh, good way to put it um and i one of the things that i liked about it is that like we ended up with a very uh different unique type of character that I think we could launch more stories off of it's this, you know, individual, you know, individualistic previous chaos warrior who's now baked into this uh, bone reaper and what, what kind of antics can he get up to? And so like it, it leaves me both wanting more, but sort of reeling over the possibilities of what, you know, this type of character could do in the moral realms. And so um, because of that, I, I, I like what the book did in sort of introducing that, that, concept um it's sort of like he got there first i'm sure there's going to be a lot of those types of characters as the the stories come come out about the the bone reapers but um i was really into it and uh i recommend reading it just because it's not a particularly big investment um a lot of uh, a lot sort of packed into the into the story you learn a bit quite a bit um so if i had to give it numbers how about uh four out of five severed fingers Ooh, uh, laying one. on the battlefield uh ground yeah. um, all right Yep. So, uh, hey, you listener, uh, if you read it, let us know what you thought. Reach out because we'd be interested to know. Spread the word. Um, any other thoughts before we close it? No, oh, I think we wrapped it up nicely. All right, let's do it. It's time for our reforging. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter at The Mortal Realms. Uh, and Davey, where can they find you on the internet? I'm at red underscore Zeke, or you can check out uh, my other content on What the Hex. Excellent. Uh, I'm Aaron. You can find me at Dos Asos uh, and more of me at the story phase. Um, And you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com.